things you own end up owning you. What's up, good people? Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for listening. Hope you're doing well out there. Today's guest is Kyle Mamunis. Kyle is uh, one of my favorite people in the world to talk to. Him and I have done a podcast in the past, and uh, if you haven't heard that first one, go ahead and check it out. Kyle has a great YouTube channel, and it's called Nutrichronology, and he uh, put out a video about low-carb diets and the physiology of all that, and I wanted to talk to him about that. Kyle has a PhD in Nutritional Sciences from Rutgers, and uh, it's a fun conversation as always. I love talking to that guy. He's uh, super intelligent and well-rounded. And uh, we talk about all sorts of things, from uh, Brad Pitt's apps to uh, endotoxin and all kinds of stuff. So I hope you enjoy this one. Yes? Good? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Welcome back, Kyle Mamunas. Thank you. How you been, man? Uh, you know, pretty good. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to ask you, last time you, we chatted, you... Uh, you were dying. You got um. You got the COVID. So, but, yes. you said, but you said you were feeling good. You said there was uh no uh no problems, no crazy symptoms. How'd that go? Did you get over that? And uh, how'd that finish? I up? did. Uh, it actually took a a pretty long time to get over this little tickle in my chest that I was having for weeks and weeks and weeks. But um, to the point where I didn't. It was hard to notice, but I was like, okay, is this just how my lungs are now? <laughs> like, um, cause I never, w I, I wasn't coughing when I had it. Uh, but then after I had it, I would have a, just a tiny urge to cough every once in a while, like a tickle in my chest. And I was like, okay, so is that, it was so slight. I couldn't even tell if that was related, but I guess it was cause it finally just went away. Oh, okay. All right. And, but I mean, you got tested and you were tested negative, right? And then it went away. So it still took some time, huh? Yeah, whether there was residual inflammation in my lungs or even if the virus was just hanging out in my lungs and like not in my nasal passages, I, I have no idea. It's weird, man. Yeah, it's so weird. Some people were so, you know, it was so detrimental to some people and others just like, uh, you know, a couple days. I mean, I, I had a friend that, you know, said it was like three, four days of just um, not sleeping that great. And that's it. It wasn't even really like, you know, flu symptoms, anything like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, man. So you put out a awesome video. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. You forgot about that. <laughs> um, I always forget about that stuff about two weeks later. It's good stuff. It's good stuff. It's called uh, "Low Carbers Hate This," right? It's on your. Uh, <laughs> I like the uh, the title. <laughs> it's on your uh, YouTube channel, Nutrichronology. Yeah. Yeah. So I wanted to chat about that, you know, and I wanted to really break that down. Well, best we could for, you know, down people like me and um, see if we can get into that. <laughs> All right. Um, so, you know, like y the video starts out and <laughs> right away you, you, you pull out this thing where you say, um, um, you know, people who are not consuming carbs, uh, you know, go on a keto diets uh, to make sure they're sufficiently um, overwhelmed by beta, but sorry, their liver is sufficiently overwhelmed by beta oxidation. What is beta oxidation, man? Is there like a, you know, easy way to explain that? Uh, yeah, it's the mm, usual way that fatty acids are turned into energy in the mitochondria. 
So, you know, when fats you're consuming from your diet, that's how they're turned into energy in your body, basically. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so when you're going, when people are going on these super crazy, uh, low carb diets, that's basically where they're getting most of their energy from. Well, at first, actually, I don't know the ratios. Um, that's one of those questions that people should just know, mm -hmm. but I, I don't think like anybody knows that, like basically what percentage, if you're in ketosis, what percentage of your, you know, ATP production is still from beta oxidation versus ketones. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, but when you're not in ketosis, the amount from ketones is very small, like negligible. So, okay. And like to, to even take a step back further, um, ketone, you know, how do people even get into ketosis? What's happening there when you know, the, usually, you know, what, what basically people know, you know, it's just, you're not consuming carbohydrates, right? But it's not completely, it doesn't have to be necessarily zero carbohydrates, right? Meaning you could, if you're just eating a normal diet of whatever meats and cream and avocados and stuff like that. Um, but you having maybe under 50, around 50 grams or under of carbohydrates that you can get into ketosis? Yeah. Um, I, I've never really like experimented on myself that way with, you know, keto, like the urine sticks or whatever. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's a lot of people that claim to be able to get into ketosis with relatively high I guess what would you, what you would think would be high glucose consumptions, and then there's some people that can't seem to stay in ketosis even if they're just eating too much protein. Uh -huh. So there's quite a bit of individual variation. But the thing that's putting people into ketosis is not so much not the carbs, but it's that they have a certain amount of fatty acids, free fatty acids. It's the free fatty acids that do it. Okay. So. If your liver is using a certain amount of free fatty acids, it just can't do it anymore. It'll get so much acetyl-CoA that it has to stuff that. It has to do something else with it, which is stick two of them together and mm -hmm. make a ketone. And by free fatty acids, you're saying the, the, the fatty acids that are consumed from the diet specifically? Uh, or in the case of fasting, mm -hmm. um, you know, from stored fat. Mm -hmm. So... When people are going on, uh, again, like a keto diet, automatically free fat, does it happen over time? So you're saying, of course, it's, there's always individuality, right? And there's different mm -hmm. between different people. But what's happening is your free fatty acids are going up sl slowly over time, right? Is that how it works? Yeah, and it, it, it's, it's inverse to – so as your glycogen draws down, and mm -hmm. the liver is the most important part, but it's happening in the muscles too. As the glycogen is drawing down mm – -hmm. uh, you're getting a hormone response to increase fatty acid lipolysis from the adipocytes to increase your free fatty acids. So it's kind of like an X curve where the one's mm -hmm. going down and the other's going up. Mm -hmm. And glycogen is like the stored form of glucose, the sugars that we eat and is stored in your muscles and is stored in your liver. Yeah. Okay. And so when that, that's kind of, is there, is there a definitive kind of proof, you know, or kind of example that, you know, that would show that glycogen is the main kind of preferred first energy source for the body? Is there a way to, to test that and to see that? Um, I guess uh, the way that you would demonstrate that is when there is glycogen present, like the suppressive 
It's actually kind of hard to say because stored glycogen isn't going to influence the insulin system the way that dietary glucose would. Mm -hmm. So I guess I would just have to default to it gets used up first. <laughs> so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like it's hard to say what's preferred, but it does get used up before the before fatty acids. Um, yeah, that's one way of thinking about it then, right? Yeah, because it's even if you have, you know, yeah, if you're consuming any carbohydrates ever, which most people at some point will or have, right, they're going to get used up first and then it's going to, your body's going to refer to the fatty acids and to the adipocytes. Is that right? Which are Yeah, um, yeah. And it's tissue specific. Like if you are starting to restrict carbohydrate, um, there are some tissues that will switch up like your muscles if you're not doing intense exercise your muscles will switch over to mostly using fatty acids uh for a lot of the time especially if you're just at rest just mm -hmm. whatever they're like kind of baseline metabolic rate they'll be using mostly fatty acids whereas you know the brain blood cells uh a few other tissues liver depending on its situation will continue to use its uh blood glucose or it's stored glycogen. Uh, and you know, whereas if you're doing exercise, then you have to use your glycogen. So the muscles have their own internal regulatory system for what they're going to use because they want to, for their own purposes, spare glycogen. Like if you're just walking, mm -hmm. your muscles don't want to burn off all your glycogen first. Mm -hmm. because that's not necessary for that level of activity. So it would, it's going to default to using more fatty acids in that state. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, if you were to start sprinting, then it would switch over. Okay. Yeah. Cause that, that's like the most basic kind of physiology 101 that you learn in like college, which is like they say, yeah, if you're walking, you're basically mostly using uh, fat for your energy source. Right. And if you're sprinting, like you said, you're using the sugars and all that stuff. So that's why they're always encouraging athletes to eat more, you know, carbohydrates in their diet. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, man. So it's interesting. So then, you know, then on the other hand, you'd say, you know, how are all these people that are doing these long-term carnivore diets and all these kind of zero-carb diets, what's happening? How are they functioning? Where are they getting their – are they storing any glycogen? Is there – you know, are they converting proteins or what's happening there? Yeah, I'd, it would be interesting to see what their levels of muscle glycogen are, but – if they're able to do, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, exercise at all at an intense level, then they have glycogen in there. And I guess it would be coming from, well, it would be coming from protein, from gluconeogenesis in the liver. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's kind of why I wanted to make the video to just make it absolutely clear that there's no way out of this situation of using glucose for energy. Um, and I, I think most people sort of realize that, and some people have said for some reason dietary glucose is bad, but it's okay if you make it from protein. And that gets – Yeah, that doesn't really make much sense, huh? Because yeah, I guess the deferred really – Yeah, it gets really silly. So your body – whatever you're eating, your fucking body wants to make the glucose, doesn't it? Or it seems like. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so at the very least, it, it, it's reasonable for people to think, well, I should consume – I don't know the amount of glucose. Like if you say you're doing, um, say you could know how much glycogen you're going to use during a weightlifting session. Mm -hmm. Like it would at the very least make sense to eat that much carbohydrate. Mm. Uh, cause you're going to do it. You're, you're either going to 
make remake that glycogen after you use it up, you're either going to remake it over time from gluconeogenesis, which means you're using amino acids that could have gone to protein synthesis, but okay. instead is going to make sugar. Or you could just eat that amount of glucose. And of course, it's not like your body you know, all this, all of these energy substrates are fungible. So you can't tell your body like, okay, I'm eating glucose now. And this glucose, like <laughs> put it in my muscles. You right. can't tell it that, but more or less, uh, if you burn up a bunch of your glycogen in your muscles, that is a relatively high priority for your body to resynthesize. Um, so yeah, so you're either going to be, I guess you could call, I would call it wasting protein mm -hmm. to make glucose to replenish that. Or you could use glucose and, you know, spare protein. Mm -hmm. And why would you, yeah, why would you say wasting? What would happen with the protein if it's not going through a gluconeogenesis? Well, it could be used for protein synthesis, mm -hmm. uh, for muscle tissue itself, and then just all of the proteins and enzymes and, you know, just regular housekeeping stuff that your body has to make all the time anyway. Right. Yeah, I'm sort of seeing the same thing for some of the carnivorous people that I'm following with that that do work out and they do still train. I'm sort of seeing the same thing as as with the vegans. You know, the vegans are like, um, you know, they're just barely hanging on if they're not on TRT or something like that. And um, but they're working out, they're doing the thing. And the carnivores, you're not seeing any of them. You know, like blowing up. They're all definitely lean. They get really shredded. Some of them, but uh, yeah, they don't have you know like physiques that I don't think you know like a you know, a, an amateur bodybuilder would want or, or, you know, go for it's, mm -hmm. um, And I think there's something to that where you're saying that, yeah, I think there's, they're definitely not putting on more muscle on that diet. I, I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, if you just think of it, like however many grams of protein are getting used to make their glucose for them, mm -hmm. that you just imagine subtracting that from your protein intake effectively. So, you know, people be like, oh, I need X grams per pound of body weight. Like, you know, bodybuilders would say that or just regular athletes have a certain number in mind that they want to get. Right. So if you're going to severely restrict carbohydrates so that you're using a lot of protein to make glucose, then you're just subtracting from that number. So it's like if you think you're getting 150 grams of protein in a day. Now, mm -hmm. everybody's doing some gluconeogenesis. Mm -hmm. So that 150 grams, even if you eat a reasonable amount of carbs might only be 120 grams or, mm -hmm. you know, what well, I'm just kind of guessing. I haven't looked up the numbers recently of what baseline, because you, can, you can't turn this com completely off anyway. There's always going to be some amount of gluconeogenesis, mm -hmm. uh, but it goes up the more you restrict carbohydrates. So that 150 grams of protein that you ate that day, or let's just say 200 grams, because if somebody's on a low carb diet, they're probably eating quite a bit of protein. Yeah. That could be like halved uh, in terms of like what's effectively available for protein synthesis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So yeah, that's why, you know, the current sort of big two names in the carnivore community is like Sean Baker, uh, who's this, you know, 50 something year old, uh, surgeon doctor. He's been on it for, but he's been on it for, I think two or three years maybe. And, um, what's the guy, the carnivore MD dude, what's his name? Come on. You oh, he has an Italian you... name, right? Like, I, I know you know that guy. Come on. He's always like, no, it's the tail nutrition, man. Come on, man. I know you know his Lord name. Doctor. Gonna I'm just going to. We need to know this name. It's Sa Saladino. Saladino. Right? That's right. Yeah. Saladino. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't <laughs> think about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So those are the two big guys. And um, what were we talking about that before? 
What were you saying before I said that? Uh, wasting protein to make glucose. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So Sean Baker, for example, he's yeah, he says uh, you got to pound steak. If you're going to go on this diet, you have to eat a lot. And so that's where it comes from. It's probably because it's hard enough to eat a lot of steak, but you know he's trying to tell people to eat a lot because that's what's happening, right? Is what you're saying, that a lot of that protein that they're eating um, is just getting used up. Um, whereas they could be eating probably a little bit less and eating some carbs and, you know, about the same amount of protein, getting, getting more protein probably, if, if if not, not the same. Yeah, definitely the protein. But when I remember when I was um, going through references for one of the papers that I wrote, I stumbled upon, I think if you get your a, a significant amount of your glucose or all of it from protein, you're using something like 25% to maybe even a third of the calories in that conversion process. Wow. Uh, and some people speculate that that is a source of a lot of the weight loss that people, especially newbies, get because they start eating a ton of protein mm -hmm. instead of carbohydrate. So calorie for calorie, it's like – and also protein is very satiating. So mm -hmm. they're eating something that is – you know, giving them satiety signals and to get the glucose that they're going to burn, they're kind of like losing almost a third of the calories. So it's like, uh, cutting out, you know, a third of the calories that they're consuming without actually having to do that. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause that's definitely, and even doing it myself, being on the diet myself, it's like, you know, if you cut out the carbs, you do lose some weight, man. And I, I don't know if, um, I mean, how accurate do you think, of course, calories matter. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what diet you're on, probably, of course, they matter. But um, how accurate do you think that is? I mean, is there – because I have tried other diets where I've tracked my calories and your body composition looks different. You know, you might weight the same, but you might have more muscle, less fat. It's um, it's a tricky business with the calories in, calories out kind of thing. Yeah, that's something I want to tackle one day um, because it's – Obviously, if you step back all of the way, like you can't get energy from nothing. Mm -hmm. So, except if you know, you're breatharian, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right, right, right. It's the first breatharian joke of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Until you've learned that skill, um, I actually read. I had one of those books back in the day. <laughs> yeah, we talked uh, about it last time. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty pretty great. Uh, <laughs> So a lot of people kind of stop at the, what is it, the second law or first law of therm thermodynamics, like I, the yeah, I think it's energy like conservation, you know. So yeah, of course that's true. Um, and so, you know, calorie balance is, you know, you've got energy in and then energy out. And people think of, they're always thinking of energy in. Mm -hmm. uh, and then for energy out, they're basically just thinking of basal metabolic rate, which to them is uh, state like set in stone kind of for their body weight and their uh, body composition and then um, exercise or activity mm -hmm. for calories, you know. But uh, I know that thyroid hormone is affected by glycogen stores. And I was just looking at something today actually where testosterone – production was different, uh, using the same amount of calories, but having different ratios of carbohydrate to protein. Yeah. I've read so, that before too. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, 
so with both, and those are just two hormones, but those are probably the two biggest ones for like body weight, you know, thyroid, and then for preserving or building lean mass testosterone. So those things are affected by what calories you're eating, uh, what calories you're eating and also, you know, how it's getting stored. Uh, so if that happens chronically over time, if you're holding on to more lean mass, eating the same amount of calories, then your basal metabolic rate just by that itself will be different Mm -hmm. than if you're holding on to less lean. So it's, it's this whole thing where all of those variables are sort of in flux. Um, even, even, uh, energy in, I mean, we assume like if you put something in your mouth that you digest and absorb all the energy from it, but, uh, the, you know, gut, microbiome stuff has shown pretty clearly that you can sometimes get weight loss by getting rid of bacteria, Mm -hmm. but then the bacteria would be consuming some of the food that you would have otherwise ate. So it's kind of this reverse thing where you're going to end up absorbing more calories that you would have eaten and then, but like weighing less because the, some of the bacteria, you know, if they're kind of pathogenic or whatever, might secrete things that suppress your metabolic rate, stuff like that. Wow. So, uh, so yeah, so if you could somehow know all of that for an individual person, like exactly what's going on at all those levels, then you could like track their energy usage and energy intake and it would have to add up. So many fucking variables, man. It's it's. Uh, so, are you saying that if I have an Apple Watch and it has uh, my my calorie burn for the day, <laughs> it's not really accurate? <laughs> what do you think of those things? <laughs> yeah, I I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I use the Chronometer website, and uh-huh. it gives me like based on my weight, and I guess it asks me for my body fat percentage. Although I don't think I have an accurate number for that. I'm just going off of. You know those uh, charts, those visual charts you can find where it's like, this is what 15% looks like. This is what 12% looks like. <laughs> oh, <It's> like, <laughs> dude, they're all over the fucking place because people store fat different places too. And it's, it's, uh, yeah. right. You got it. Yeah. It's, it, if the model in question is storing fat in the places that you would, then it, it's probably a pretty good. So, yeah. So you should, yeah. If you're going to do that, you should look at a few of them, you know, and get an idea of the ranges. And I, yeah, I would say like maybe plus or minus 3% mm-hmm. somebody could reason anyway. Um, yeah. And it gives me a number and it's like, okay, like, <laughs> and then, and then there's no, there's no way to, uh, verify that. It's like, okay, I have this number and now I'm gonna like, say I want to lose weight. It's like, all right, I'm going to eat less than this number. There's no way to know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. The only – well, it's and it's not even the true because you still don't exactly know. I mean I guess the only way if you're doing the calories in, calories out thing is to literally track what you're eating day in, day out or try and try because also the other thing is that most people don't eat the same fucking thing day in, day out. You know what I mean? And don't they don't – a lot of people don't even eat at the same times because they – you know, some people have that lunch break where they always eat the same times but – Dinner is all over the place, you know. Mm-hmm. A lot of people don't don't count the little things that they snack on. Um, so the only real way to track to you know establish like a you know if you're doing the caloric um, if you're putting on calories or if you want to take out the calories is to like literally monitor what you eat day in day out, and then try to go from there to you know 500 calories less or or more whatever you're trying to do. Right. So those um yeah because I've done the same thing that like you know you'll get a number 2400 calories is what you should eat to lose fat and then you're like i'm not losing any fucking fat 
and, um, <laughs> and then also the foods that you're eating influences you. Yeah, man. So to go back to those like um, um, Saladino thing, did you hear his new thing? He's uh, eating, uh, I don't remember, is it 100 grams of honey a day now? Or um, something like that. And a lot yeah. of the, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's 50-50 right now. The one half of carnivores are fucking, what? What is going on? You're eating honey. And then the other side is like, a, yeah, man, I get it. You know, they're just, cause, cause they probably just want to eat some sweets, you know. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's pretty funny to me to watch this people evolve from like going to, you know, all plants and, and sugars are evil and, you know, they're going to kill you to eating a lot of honey a day. Sean Baker's still holding out on that, though. He's still not fucking into it. He's like, uh, he's like, uh, that's a lot of fructose, man. So, um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking at Saladino's YouTube right now, and it's uh-huh. funny. It's you could kind of take, like, I'll just say myself, although I'm obviously not the only person saying this stuff, and <laughs> you know, I'm getting my stuff a lot of times from other people. But you could just take like what I was thinking about or saying like five to even seven years ago mm-hmm. and just make that his current like video list, <laughs> like controversial thoughts about Omega three PUFAs. Like maybe oh, they aren't no. good <laughs> <laughs> or like, Oh, is linoleic acid really causing the obesity? <laughs> He's a fucking genius. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I saw, so I don't follow these guys at all. Like, uh-huh. Uh, when I when I talk to you, I have to re-remember who they are. But I did see Danny Roddy mm-hmm. retweet Saladino about the carbohydrate thing, and he was he was like in beforeing. Danny was in beforeing uh, these guys. He he basically called their shot. He said, "So you guys are beginning your back your um, pivot, mm-hmm. where you're realizing that you know either for yourselves personally or a large." portion of your audience or whatever is that a super hardcore you know extremely low or zero carb diet is not sustainable mm-hmm. so they're they're reaching at they're kind of putting out feelers for the most brand acceptable way to change their opinion yes right? yes yes and you know you know what i did he had a live stream going and um <laughs> he, he was taking questions so i joined in of course um and uh, I, I, I typed in the question. I, I said something like, um, um, so you're eating 100 grams of honey a day now. Um, see if you can find how much. It's, it's, it's a pretty good amount. I think you said either 50 grams or 100 grams somewhere there. But anyway, so I said, uh, so you're eating that much amount of honey. Why not change your name from carnivore MD to something else? Because it's not carnivore. And his reply was that it's an animal food. And so, so you see how that dogmatic, that kind of shift is happening. Instead of instead of just being like, okay, or whatever, you know, like yeah, I'm I'm eating, you know, fruit now. It's like he's still holding on to the thing that, well, hey, I'm still eating some animal food, even though the word carne means meat, it doesn't mean animal. Right. <laughs> so yeah, man. That is that is funny. Um, I remember that too. In like, that's one of the things that happens between carnivores and. Like vegans, like they, because vegans have their own, you know, vegans have agave syrup and stuff like that. <laughs> and then, so if you're like kind of um, like your identity is all wrapped up in like, I eat animals, then it's like, well, yeah, I eat animal sugar. Like, 
<laughs> that's, I, yeah, that's I, what it, exactly. That's what it was. It was from like, don't eat sugar; it's not good. But animal sugar is okay because it's animal, and I'm an animal MD. Even though, again, it's like carnivore. I was like, well, it's not really. He didn't reply to that comment though, so I was I felt kind of left out. Um, yeah, I mean, at a certain point. You could back somebody into a corner. See, the thing is, these people wouldn't let themselves get back into a corner. They just wouldn't <laughs> engage with somebody that could, like, ask them questions until they couldn't answer them anymore. But just say, like, so what is actually the difference between eating X grams of honey per day and, like, table sugar yeah. or fruit that has a similar, like, glucose to fructose? ratio of the, you know, or fruit juice, like take out the, you know, if you don't think the fiber is good, like just take out the, take out the fiber or whatever it is, you know, some form of sugar that has a similar sugar composition to honey. Mm -hmm, Like mm -hmm. what's, what's, what is the difference? What will that change? Like, how would that harm you to, you know, or whatever? Cause yeah, it's really, it's just a style thing. It's like, oh, well I don't use olive oil. I use butter. Or like, I don't use coconut oil. I use butter because it's from an animal. And yeah. it's like, okay. I only use ghee, man. And it has to be from a yak. Yak. That's what I, <laughs> That's what I use. It's more clarified. You don't understand it. There's less <laughs> lactose in there. <laughs> so it's funny, man. Because, um, yeah, it's um, we're getting to a place in just in diets where we're mostly talking about like um, sort of like you and me talked about the last podcast. Um where you said, you know, people, a lot of people are just going on these vegetarian or vegan diets. It's just because they feel, they feel they're being more spiritual. You know, it's not necessarily that maybe they even believe that they're being healthier. Although of course, probably a big majority of them do, but it's like, we're getting the same place with diets where it's not about actually trying to be healthy. It's about like finding a thing and blocking it in. Like I'm the carnivore guy, or I'm the no animal guy, or I'm the repeat guy or whatever guy, you know? Mm-hmm. It's a tough place to be at, man. Um, so to talk about honey, I mean, honey, I wanted to talk about those sugars with you. Um, I mean, honey, honey, from what I remember, it's mostly fructose, right? And it has some glucose. Yeah, and, and I forget exactly what it is. it has some sucrose in there too, doesn't it? Let's see. How much percent? Because they, they do vary from like, you know, the bees and yeah. what they're eating and all that stuff. But generally, it's a lot of fructose. Yeah, I I think it's over fifty percent fructose or mm-hmm. close to. Uh, all right, I just found one. Okay, this one's saying forty percent fructose, thirty mm. percent glucose, seventeen percent sucrose, and then the rest is like a little bit of maltose. Mm-hmm. Well, and when they say sucrose, but isn't that still has some fructose in it? Yeah, yeah, and then su- yeah, sucrose itself is fifty fifty fructose and glucose so you could theoretically just add that you know split that whatever that is like yeah like king king solomon or whatever and give half to the (laughs) to the one mom and one to the half to the other okay okay Uh, so roughly around somewhere 50 upwards percent yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so yeah so the people that are consuming honey now, if you take sucrose, I, I don't know what it is. Do you think it's advertising or do you think it's just years of marketing? I mean, why are people so kind of freaked out? Why are we all freaked out by sucrose? Where are, where are people? Because, you know, you still have a lot of doctors who are not necessarily carnivore. You have like uh, Peter Atia, you know that guy? You ever heard of him? 
you know. I think I've heard of him. Yeah, bald guy, you know, huge into keto. And then recently, again, like, I stopped doing it because it just got bored. <laughs> and, uh, you know, those sort of guys. Um, what's the other? What's the super, super keto guy? Um, also Italian name. I think it was... Uh, uh, Dominic D'Agostino. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. He's been on keto for a long, long time. He just eats sardines and olive oil all fucking day, man. Yeah, I have trouble believing... Okay, so if he still looks the way that he looks like seven years ago, because mm-hmm. he was ac- actually had quite a bit of muscle mass, and I find it hard to believe that he could maintain that with no carbohydrate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if he just does... Uh, it's like cycling ketogenic. Now here's what I think he's cycling. I think he's cycling testosterone, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> See, so that's the big fucking thing that nobody talks about. And that's across the board. It, fuck even diets. You know, it's like even Instagram, for example, you'll have a guy put out a, you know, here's my workout routine. And it's like the dumbest shit you've ever seen. And then he's shredded <laughs> and he's got these giant muscles and people who don't lift or, or haven't been around the gym that long. They have no idea, I mean, just how prevalent testosterone is. Yeah, people that don't lift, people that haven't tried to get a impressive physique natural are not aware of how difficult it can be. Okay. Uh, so I, I found that with a lot of friends where I'll be like, oh, like I'll see an actor, you know, that gets like jacked for a role. And I'm like, oh, yeah, he probably used this or that. And they're mm-hmm. like... Well, in this interview, he said he just ate chicken and rice and broccoli. Oh, yeah, and 5 a.m. cardio, 100%. Yeah, every, yeah he, he ate every two hours and like blah, 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 blah. And it's like, yeah, maybe also that, but. Yes, if you think Hugh Jackman is natural, you're a fucking idiot. I'm sorry, and I'm not, no offense, but you are. I'm sorry. I mean, he was on that uh I think it was on Conan's show, and he was saying, like, uh, yeah, it's just fasting, man. I have this 12-hour window. And, I mean, have you seen him playing fucking Wolverine? He's got veins in his goddamn neck, dude. He's got veins <laughs> in his fucking neck, you know? And he's shredded. Yeah. Shredded. Of course it's not natural. It doesn't mean – now, here's the other side of that. It's like people think that when I say that or somebody else says that, that it's like – I mean, well, I can't speak for everybody else, but for me – I'm not saying that guy didn't work hard and died down and did get up at 5 a.m. and did his cardio and did all these things. I'm not, I'm not saying that he didn't work hard, you know. But what I am saying is that these supernatural physiques that we see, they're supernatural for a reason. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, an example of an actor's physique that I think is probably natural, um, I haven't watched the show yet, but I saw some pictures. I want to watch the show, uh, The Witcher on Netflix. I haven't seen it. Let's look it up. Um, I thought you were going to say The actor is the same guy that played Superman for a while. Uh, What's his name? Uh, Henry Cavill. Oh, um, he worked with uh, Mark Twight from – you know who Mark Twight is? You ever heard of uh, Jim Jones? Jim G-Y-M. That was his uh, trainer. Um, And he's a legit guy, but – not but. I I don't know. But but, I mean in those circles, uh, guys are doing all sorts of performance-enhancing things. They're they're no dummies and – He's an, I mean, he's an actor, you know, and again, it's like, uh, yeah, but if you just look at him, like if you look see. at his, uh, like, you know, Henry Cavill, the Witcher, like his body or whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's, um, it's impressive, but I think it's something that a person with like reasonable genetics and who has discipline could actually achieve, you yeah. know, 
Whereas if you look, yeah, like the Wolverine physique or um, like The Rock. <laughs> yeah, <you know? laughs> he's natural, <That's>, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like that kind of stuff is i think in there's some superman pictures of henry know, cavill man. where i'm I think looking at a picture he's got some massive delts man and delts is the dead giveaway you know <laughs> uh, i've you know and i've tried trt by the way so I, as soon as you do it your delts blow up man and and um if you have uh traps they just yeah. fucking blow up they blow up man so i don't know but it's it's tough man and people have set these crazy standards but I don't. I don't think it's. The, I don't think it was the keto diet. Oh, but there's other pictures of him <laughs> in the Immortals. Have you seen that movie? That looks. Yeah, like... that looks like that was probably before he was taking stuff because he's not even that big there. If you type in um, Witcher physique into Google, the third mm-hmm. picture shows a progression of Henry from 2010 to 2019. Uh, I think it's fair to say he's been out some TRT, my friend. <laughs> Are you seeing it? You seeing the little yeah, well, upgrade? Okay, has that little... picture of The Witcher, actually, I, I didn't see that one. He looks pretty huge there. <laughs> the ones I was seeing, there's one where he's in a bathtub and he's like laying back and just the top of his chest is exposed and yeah. he doesn't look that huge. No, and yeah. he also, he looks like he has 15% body fat, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. even more. Because mm-hmm. um, that's, that's what I look at is... Like some guys can get pretty big, uh, and it's not easy. It takes discipline, but it's possible to get really shredded if you're like 160 pounds. Yeah. But to be shredded and like over 180, 190, like once you start to get into like big and single Impossible. digit body fat percentage, it's yeah. yeah, extremely difficult. And yeah, there's a certain point where it's not possible. And then there's the other giveaways like the way the traps and the delts look and uh, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, you know, it, it takes time too. I mean, there are there guys that – I've worked with some guys that they look phenomenal. They eat whatever the fuck they want. They never tried any drugs. Um, but they've been lifting rocks in south, you know, southern Caucasus of Russia since they were nine years old. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like seriously. So – of course, time with with enough time, you can do anything. I just don't, I, you know, these guys because a lot of these actor guys, I mean, they never started lifting until they were in Hollywood in their twenties. You know what I mean? So that that's a big factor too. Well, yeah, and they have they have um, they'll have to get in shape for a role. Like they might stay in kind of shape, but they'll get a role, and then it's like okay, they could either not enjoy their life and stay in really great shape all the time, or they could kind of slack off. And then take something or take a, a few things, and they have so much access because mm-hmm. they have money. And they're in this network of actors that pr- they all probably share doctors and like prescription. Of course, yeah. There's you a, know, there's a couple chains. famous. Yeah, there's a couple famous doctors around uh, LA that you know that have been there here and there. Um, I mean, unattainable phys- physique. I mean, y- your boy Brad's. I mean, Brad Pitt in Fight Club. I mean, when he takes that shirt of that famous scene, uh, he's just super lean there. He's just very very lean. He just probably didn't right. eat. For a few days, he did the, uh, you know, um, what's Batman's name? Um, come Bruce on. Wayne. Well, no, not actual the actor. <laughs> <laughs> You're right about that, you son of a bitch. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, oh shit! Come I was on. just thinking about that actor too, because I was thinking about American Psycho. Oh yeah, that's natural. 
That's not, I would say that's natural. If if you go yeah. and rewatch that that scene where he's doing those crunches, I do five hundred crunches a day <laughs> in the morning, and then I put on a face and then I put an ice mask. It really keeps the inflammation down, <laughs> or whatever the fuck it is. Um, yeah, yeah. That he looks pretty natural there. I don't think uh, there was a, too much TRT involved there. But that motherfucker, the word around town is that he's a, he's a workhorse. Have you seen that movie of The Machinist with him? I didn't see it. Is that the, that's the one where he gets oh. really skinny? Oh yeah, Christian Bale is by the way his name. I just remembered. Christian yeah. Bale. Oh man. You got to check that movie out. I mean, it's not like the best movie. I mean, it's basically Fight Club by the way. It's the same it, I don't know if I huh. spoiler alert. Um I don't know, you know, if, if I'm ruining for you, but uh it's it's sort of a similar process where he's he's going a little insane and um well, that was real. He he just didn't eat. He just didn't eat. Mm-hmm. I, I was reading about it and then um yeah, that was how. Because people asked him, you know, what's the secret? How would you? How'd you do it? And he's like, I just stopped eating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, actors. I mean, they have a lot of. They, like they're prone to certain mental <laughs> issues, so it's probably easy for a lot of them to do like, you know, something uh, self-destructive. <laughs> no, yeah, of course not. <laughs> they're fucking crazy, dude. Ninety-nine <laughs> percent of the time. But um, yeah, but he's a great, fucking great. He's one of my top favorite actors of all time. I think. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, man. So I wanted to. So we're on the topic of, um, you know, honey and all that and sugar. Yeah, why are people so afraid of sugar? You think? You think it's just years of marketing and doctors saying how bad it is? I mean, do they even fucking have a real reason why why it's so bad? And when uh, I, and when I mean sorry, when I mean sugar, I mean like actual you know white table sugar. Table sugar, yeah. yeah. Um, I remember when I was first getting into nutrition stuff, that the word white, which these days it has like there's like a whole other connotation to like anti-white marketing, but <laughs> um, like because I remember white potatoes, it's like oh you should eat sweet potatoes or yams like not white potato, and then white rice was bad. Everybody had to eat brown rice like in yeah. the early two thousands. That got trendy, and of course white sugar. It, I think it started with white sugar because the idea is, and well dairy is a little different, but oh and flour bleached oh, flour yeah, white yeah. white flour yeah. So a lot of the white foods like that are processed to be white um, have you know have things taken out of them, and that's why they look white now. So I think people are – and this this actually isn't that bad of an instinct to be a little skeptical of food processing, mm-hmm. like that there's a problem with it. But uh, – so that's, that's what I think happened is the idea that it's had everything good stripped out of it and it's just – oh, the phrase empty calories was really big in the 90s. Yes. Um, is And also that – and this is totally uh, sugar. It's background noise. Sorry, dude. I live in LA, dude. There's homeless people all over the fucking place. They're taking over this goddamn city, dude. It's it's going. It's getting out of fucking hand, dude. Out of nice. hand. So sorry. See, it's just some guy with the Ralph's cart, probably just walking down the street. Anyway, all right. Uh, the whole thing, which was big in the '80s and then the '90s, of sugar rotting your teeth. Uh-huh. That's just totally not true. Um, cause I remember I had huh. a friend in a class in grad school, we had to do a presentation on some topic that was not our topic. So it's like, you're, you're kind of cobbling together your dissertation and you're taking courses. And then we had a class where you sort of had to almost act like you're presenting something like it's your 
thesis, like just something somebody else did. So just take a bunch of papers of a topic and present something, but okay. it's not your area of expertise. Mm. So that, that was the challenge. And one of my friends, she was really interested in dental health mm-hmm. and she found some papers that, and the only studies ever done are like, if you, for example, incubate like teeth that are pulled out of a person's mouth, uh, in solutions of sugar and water or, um, other forms of carbohydrate and water, like they'll, uh, bacteria will get to them at the same rate. Or actually, I think a lot of them like flour or grains or however they process the grains to get, to get the carbohydrate accessible, Mm -hmm. they actually rot it faster. Mm -hmm. And this has been done a little bit like in people's mouths, but a lot of the work was done in the early 20th century with, they would just get teeth that were extracted, um, that were not infected and just put them like just physically drop them in solutions that contained different things to see how fast bacteria would break them down. So there's basically no evidence. There's no direct evidence that sugar causes bacteria to invade your teeth any faster than any other form of carbohydrate that so like if you chew a bunch of like starchy foods or grains or something and just leave it on your teeth Mm -hmm. it's like it's the same thing Hmm. so you think all these dentists that are saying don't eat sugar i mean they're just saying that just passed passing on the same myth to to the other to the next person pretty much well i think that like especially for kids because kids can tend to eat a lot of candy and stuff Mm -hmm. um and then if they're if you're eating that then you're not eating something that like has vitamins and minerals Mm -hmm. so i think that plays a part in it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, basically if you were to like i'm pretty sure if you did an experiment where you took a bunch of people uh and gave some of them like vitamin and mineral deficient diets Mm -hmm. And the other people were were good on that. That there would like be some dental issues if you waited long enough, you know. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's an area that I've been looking into recently too. Actually, it's funny you say that. Bring this up. Um, I got this book called Jaws. Um, it's a, nice. You, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, I haven't fully gone through it yet. So, um, but there's a whole field of dentistry popping up, and uh, they call it uh, functional dentistry or bio identical, maybe dentistries you know they put all these you know fancy words on it but one thing is that people don't know also is that like cavities can heal that's another thing that people believe with like like you get a cavity like you get a little hole in your in your Mm -hmm. tooth that's it like it's there unless we fill it in with something and it's Mm -hmm. just not true and all these all these doctors these the functional doctors are dentists are uh talking about this and it's like no they do heal i mean of course if you have like an infected tooth and you got it you know it's really deep and close to the root blah 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 but um yeah it's it's an interesting thing i think it all kind of some of the dentist stuff goes back to like uh, weston a price have you read his stuff oh yeah 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 because that was like the big that's like the big like first go-to of people that say sugar is bad is like it's people don't know Western Ernie Price was uh, like what beginning of 1900s, right? He went around um, and he met some indigenous cultures that still existed and um, basically figured out that wherever there was um, modernized food present, all the indigenous people's uh, um, jaws and, and teeth got worse. 
Mm-hmm. And then the ones that didn't have the natural, they were eating natural foods. They had very good, you know, perfect t- um, t- tooth health and yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I wonder what it is that we, because that, that's another thing. It's like, that's all you always hear, right? It's like white man invades, gives the poor indigenous people <laughs> like, mm-hmm. sh- you know, sugar and chocolate and cakes and uh, indigenous people die and get bad and fat and ugly. Right. Yeah, uh, I guess, you know, it's funny that the Weston A. Price thing, he does kind of, I mean, he demonizes processed food. I don't even think he says sugar. He talks about, um, because a lot of the foods people were eating then were preserved fruits, like jams. Mm -hmm. So a meal might be like a slice of bread with fruit jam on it. Mm -hmm. And the jam would be, you know, mashed up fruit with uh, some kind of syrup, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's like functionally sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, you know, like Saladino could eat that. <laughs> they could, you could preserve it in honey. It's not an uh, animal food. You son of a bitch, <laughs> Kyle. It's not an animal food. Uh, and so he talks about that, but w- my memory of it is that his focus is on the lack of the traditional animal foods being eaten, yes. mostly, uh, seafoods and then things with I think he he was like kind of discovering vitamin K because he kept talking about factor X or something. Yeah. And I think vitamin K hadn't been uh, discovered yet. And he was saying there's something in fat soluble food, you know, fatty foods like butter, especially at certain times of year when the animals are eating, you know, the most rich grass and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. that seems to be powerful in preventing these problems in people. So, that all that kind of work was taken and then all the it's kind of like the vegetarian like health nut proto sphere took that information and then just threw out all the stuff he said about the importance of animal foods and was mm-hmm. just like oh sugar is bad mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well to this day they still have a western price foundation thing mm-hmm. um there are people that they do update the website and they post things and um they definitely have a still of a bit of a view of like sugar is bad, even though, yeah, they all eat their sourdough bread. It's one of the main staples of the Western pre- Western A. Price diet. Um, but with the fats is um, another thing that they're really big on is the um, uh, cod liver oil, but fermented cod liver oil, because apparently mm-hmm. it gets more, from what I remember, vitamin K and vitamin D in it. So again, yeah, like you said, it it, it kind of it's 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 it seems like that the point the big picture of that diet is that he's trying to get people to eat more nutrient dense foods, especially you know animal foods and, and fat foods, because people don't just don't get enough of those. Yeah, yeah, I you know the West I'm fine with those people. Like, <laughs> uh, that's I don't think that's like a bad. Um, it's a small group of people that follow it mm-hmm. and it doesn't really, it doesn't strike me as the kind of like huge cultish fad that happened with like paleo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I think it's a great diet for any person. I mean, it's just really, again, it comes down to the same thing. Just eat natural foods. Don't be afraid of butter that everybody's been eating for a hundred years and don't be afraid of, you know, meat and you know, all those foods. I don't know. I've tried the cod liver oil for supplementing it. It smells like fucking shit. 
Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, So I I gave that up long ago, but I've bought, and it's very fucking expensive. It's like $50 a bottle type stuff. Yeah, yeah, not too fun. (laughs) Yeah, I, I wouldn't recommend that anyway. It's it's funny, man. So people are still just not getting into the sugar thing. I mean, how much sugar do you consume in your diet? Actual sucrose. Uh, let's see. Usually I'll make coffee and then I'll dump I'll make like the equivalent of about 2 cups of coffee and put maybe four or five teaspoons of sugar mm-hmm. in like a big thermos and like dump it all in there and then put some milk or cream or whatever mm-hmm. and just bring that to work. <clears throat> uh, do you have a, do you have a biohacking way of making your coffee that biohacks your entire system <laughs> for the preparation of the caffeine from the coffee? Uh, yeah, it's called a French press. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love your answer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did actually get a food scale. I I have a food scale now uh-huh. and I weigh the beans. Mm-hmm. So I have a rel- – because I used to just eyeball everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now I have a relatively consistent amount of water and beans that I grind. Mm-hmm. But it's whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I put collagen in there too actually. I'll put a scoop of collagen Okay. Because uh, that'll dissolve really well in the hot coffee when you first pour it on there. Right. So pretty much just sugar in your coffee. That's it. You don't. Um. Yeah. I don't. Because I don't. Uh, well, I was just drinking. What I was just drinking. It was like this green thing. Mm-hmm. Was matcha tea, which mm-hmm. is basically just sugar. It's like matcha latte mix. So it's like crystals of. I'm sure you've seen it on right, in right, California. Right. It's, it's, it's super ground up, uh, fine green leaf tea, which is you know supposed to have a lot of health properties. It has some caffeine in there too. Um, yeah, but people mix it with sugar and mm-hmm. sell it in like bags, so it's like pre sweetened. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you just you just get the the simple stuff, not not too expensive because they have they have levels. I I bought hundred dollar bags before. <laughs> they have levels of that shit, man. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, yeah, I I had it in Japan once, and it was pretty amazing. Oh, I didn't know you've been um, to Japan, man. That's awesome. Yeah, just one time. Mm. How long did you spend there? Two weeks. Two weeks? So you were just hanging out? Just went to check it out? Uh, well, you know, it was... Uh... Ooh, there's a girl involved, huh? Oh, I get you. <laughs> <laughs> I read you right, didn't I? You son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know how much you want to get into it. It's actually... Uh, sure, man. It's a little it podcast. My... Do whatever the fuck we want here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it was my honeymoon. What? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Ladies, he's singled out. <laughs> yeah, you have a news scoop here. Ooh, I love what I hear this. What happened there? Ah, I was just married and then I got divorced. But um we had a really cool honeymoon in Japan, so <laughs> That's awesome. No, but she wasn't Japanese, I mean. Oh no, no, no. Oh, okay, okay. So you just went to check out Japan. That's fucking awesome, man. Yeah, I never been. I want to go. You know, I was born just above uh Japan in a peninsula that comes from Russia. It's called Kamchatka. I don't know if you were, you know, go ahead and Google that later. Check it out. Have fun. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a crazy place. There's like three people there and a bunch of bears. <laughs> is that is that where the like Russo-Japanese War took place across a, that? A part of it, connection? yeah, and yeah, yeah, part of it. That and then it, it went up to northern part. You know that little part where um, remember Sarah Palin? 
Remember that? Oh, yeah. Remember that one time she was like, "I could see Russia from Alaska from here," but you really can't. It's it's like two miles apart. But I, where I was born, it's a little bit lower down. It's like literally, like I said, it's a peninsula that goes from that part. But between Alaska and Russia, it's crazy to me that they. Well, it's not crazy knowing the Russia America relations, especially currently. Um, but it's I just thought, I always thought thought it was so weird that it never built a bridge between there because it's. I don't know the exact distance, but it's, it must be like I don't know four four kilometers or something. It's really close apart. It'd be kind of cool to drive from Russia into, you know, USA technically, but it's Alaska. Right. Yeah. yeah so we're talking about, um, and you know, in the Ray Pete world, tea is not really a thing. They kind of talk right. about it as being a, a estrogenic, super estrogenic thing. How have you looked, ever looked into research on that? Yeah, I don't. I honestly, I forget because uh, I know some people. Uh, still talk about because it's so weird there's like different levels of nutrition stuff where a normal person would be like oh yeah tea i heard that's healthy mm-hmm. and then and then the next level is like oh it's the it's the phenols you know the polyphenols and blah 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 and it's not that much caffeine and then the next level it's people are like oh caffeine's good for you <laughs> and polyphenols aren't actually all, like the the research is kind of and and then it'll get all it'll come all the way back around again where like the ascended nutrition person will just be like, yeah, tea's kind of healthy. Like <laughs> <laughs> it takes time. Like, it's okay. It's okay. Like <laughs> it takes time. Well, I mean, I wanted to talk to you about estrogen too, though. I mean, we do produce it, right? It is in our bodies. Right. Yeah. So there is a reason that we do have estrogen because again, there's the two sides of the camp, right? Where it's like a lot of women are given estrogen because, you know, they're told it's super healthy for them and it does all these wonderful things. And then there's the other side where people just think it's, you know, it's the devil and everything you eat has estrogen and it's so bad for you. I mean, what's the functional reason of estrogen in our bodies? Uh, It's, it's a, like a proliferative signal. So it causes growth and it causes cells to divide. Uh, in like the classic example would be like menstruation in women. So it causes the uterine lining to proliferate. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so it's kind of in that situation, it's sort of this necessary evil, mm-hmm. uh, for women to be able to be fertile. Cause like they, I guess just the way it evolved, it's more efficient to have, you know, the, the body sort of prepare itself one week every month. Uh, instead of just keep like the uterine lining <laughs> flush with, <laughs> mm-hmm. but men also <laughs> have to produce estrogen, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So pretty much everything, uh, every hormone, and including the steroid hormones, does like many, many duties. Mm-hmm. Um, so estrogen, I mean, it has it does signaling in the brain, in mm-hmm. both of the sexes. Um, it 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 does all kinds of things and. I'm sure if you now also the mm-hmm. the research is a little kind of cuz everything is based on estrogen receptor so the protein that's supposedly the estrogen receptor most people they'll say oh this tissue has a lot of estrogen receptors so that means estrogen is required for this tissue or something like that so sometimes you know a medical textbook might say estrogen is important for this or that and the reason they're saying that is not demonstrated to the level that you might expect. It could just be that like that tissue has been shown to be uh, sensitive to estrogen and therefore it's important for that tissue, but that doesn't really follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but yeah, yeah, and all that stuff. I mean, including cortisol, like stuff is considered bad. I mean, it's it's pretty much always present at low levels. And I think if you could just delete it, like whether it's cortisol or estrogen, you'd have some serious problems. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, but to say that, do you think that you should be consuming things or doing things to raise the levels of estrogen and cortisol? Do you think it's fair to say that the you know the general because general consensus is like you don't want to do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and I mean, uh, you ever read um, Dr. J's book, Estrogen Generation? No, pretty cool book. So he goes into um, all the things that are in our day to day environment from plastic bottles. Plastic bottles is like the most common one that everybody thinks of, but it's mm-hmm. like. Like your meat in a grocery store is wrapped in plastic. That fucking plastic leaches into the food. Um, right. Your detergents, your perfumes, and just so much stuff is laden with plastic. So it seems like it's probably a good thing to try to at least not get extra estrogen into your you know, day-to-day life, I think. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, estrogen in general, like if you're, say, your estrogen number is something in your blood work one year and Mm -hmm. then the next year it's 50 percent higher Mm -hmm. that's probably from some type of bad process in your body like that's that's not like a good thing Mm -hmm. so it goes hand in hand with health problems Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just that the sort of hyper focus on it as something to i don't know uh worry about like, <laughs> mm-hmm. there's jokes on uh, this one Instagram account I follow about like lifting weights and stuff, and they get a lot of memes from uh, the 4chan uh, fit mm-hmm. uh, board. And it's like, um, oh, I was, you know, bought something at the store, and the cashier was so cute, I forgot to not take the estrogen laden <laughs> receipt, and I lost all my gains for the week or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because actually it does that fucking – those receipts are filled with those fucking chemicals, aren't they? Oh, yeah, the funny. paper that they use is – Yeah, people don't um, know that. Yeah, I learned that from Charles Poliquin yeah. long years ago. Yeah, that if you take the – you know, try – don't <laughs> take those receipts. Don't hold them. But can you imagine all the cashiers that day-to-day are fucking touching that shit? Yeah, oh, well, definitely don't eat them. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> don't eat them. Don't Don't apply like – alcohol to them and then rub it onto your skin like don't extract the surface material of the receipt and allow it to absorb into your skin I don't do a, that i just put them in a cereal box and put some milk on top it's delicious <laughs> yeah you got to stop doing that you're gonna oh, lose fuck. all your gains oh man is that why my nipples are so sensitive lately <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah it's uh so it seems like all these things it comes down to a balance, huh? Because, I mean, you know, like, for example, like we were talking about Japan. In Japan, they drink a shitload of fucking tea. They drink a shitload of tea. Mm-hmm. Russian culture doesn't we drink a lot of tea. Not a lot of coffee traditionally. It does have the caffeine. But um, but I don't know, man. I, I, I'll tell you the truth. I never really seen or heard of gyno until I came to the States. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. that's a, one of those things that people get from too much dominance of estrogen. So... I, I don't know. Maybe it's so many things that in the American environment, and then and then on top of that, you're getting you're drinking tea or or whatever things that are getting extra. That that's what's really hurting the people. So I think it's like got to really evaluate your whole life in, in a big picture kind of sense. Yeah. Well, America is a weird place because 
uh, you know, there's people from, you know, England, uh, and, <laughs> and then all over Europe and now all over the world. And yeah, if you're looking at Japan and it's like, Oh, why don't they have this negative medical effect from this food that they eat a ton of? And it's like, yeah, but they've been doing it for a really long time and that specific food. So you can just kind of think sort of from the paleo or ancestral perspective mm -hmm. that it's more likely that their bodies are somehow in line with that mm -hmm. than in a place like America, which has such a, such a small history, like somebody could come from a place in Russia where you eat X, Y, and Z, and now they're in America and they're second generation and they're eating totally different foods. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if they had, you know, stayed in, like obviously all around the world diets are changing, but they're, you know, somebody in South Korea is eating on average more like their ancestors did than a South Korean in France or in, you know, yeah. America. Yeah, in Silicon Valley or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Especially there. <laughs> That's like the culture shredder. Yeah. It's like everybody should eat tacos and mochi. <laughs> Kombucha. And like... It's good for your gut. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think about yeah. that stuff? I, when I, whenever I drink kombucha, I tell you the truth, I like the taste of kombucha. But my God, going to the bathroom after kombucha is not great for me. I, I love the taste of kombucha, but I don't know. I've always done funky stuff to to my gut. I don't I don't know if I buy the whole um, uh, healthy bacteria or whatever in, is in there. Yeah, I, I'm pretty skeptical of just consuming bacteria mm -hmm. on the idea that it's going to positively affect your gut directly. I mean, the like it has a lot of vitamins like kombucha because mm -hmm. the bacteria themselves produce a lot of like stuff you know mm -hmm. as a side effect but yeah i mean it's kind of it's like eating dirt or something it's you know you can't just assume like oh i'm gonna consume this thing and then it's gonna fix my shit up yeah, it's yeah. a lot of doctors are doing that with like probiotics nowadays too like you know with just like and it, and it started with like uh, go and buy some probiotics and then it was like go and buy some probiotics at Whole Foods and then it was like go and order some probiotics from Whole Foods and get only the organic kind and then it was like you got to get the VSL number three because that's the only real probiotics that's on the market that you can buy and then it was like now the biohackers have like the new – it's just like all these crazy-ass fucking probiotics. Yeah. Um, I, you know, and you've heard um, – you've probably heard Ray P talk about uh, the gut. You know, he had an interesting perspective on it. On um, where he didn't really say that it's you know you ha you should have this bacteria and that bacteria in there and doing all these good good things and bad things or whatever whatnot he had a perspective of uh, it should be clean right that there's really you know there there was nobody ever really talked about the gut microbiome back in the days which is true which just kind of seems the, and the gut microbiome is all the craze in the, lately you know it's the, all the biggest things people talk about. Yeah, his his perspective I think is that the small intestine should be like extremely low amounts of bacteria. Mm -hmm. Ideally, I guess nothing. And then the large intestine should have cuz he ha he has said butyric acid is good, which is the thing that a lot of the colonic bacteria produce. Um so he said like a few things oh, uh that bacteria in some situations are beneficial, but I think a lot of people – and you know, the, one of the things that drove me crazy – I haven't thought about this for a long time, but 
when I was in grad school and then afterwards, people would talk about the microbiome and gut health and stuff. And they would never differentiate between the small intestine and the large intestine. Mm -hmm. They would just talk about it like it's this thing. Mm -hmm. And it, it would just drive me crazy because <laughs> like the difference in what the, the, they're like two different organs, you know, the, the, the difference of what should be there, the amounts of what's there, the mm -hmm. jobs it performs. It's like two totally different things. And people are just like, Oh yeah, take this, for your gut, uh, right. even like doctors. That's and, what people say. People say gut. Yeah. yeah, nobody uses large intestine, small intestine. Everybody uses right. gut. You're so on on the money on that, man. And give us a little breakdown of like the you know just the, what what comes after the stomach. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, and you know it 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 actually it continues on because um, another thing that people get confused about is if you're having acid reflux. Like mm -hmm. the vast majority of the time, it's not because your stomach is producing too much acid. It's because the bottom of the stomach, when it the food goes into the small intestine, is not opening mm -hmm. like at the proper time or rhythm to get the acid mixed food out of the stomach, out mm -hmm. of the, the pylorus, through the pyloric sphincter into the small intestine. So it refluxes because your stomach is still like churning. So if, if that hole, that sphincter doesn't open up enough and it opens up from low pH. So paradoxically, if you underproduce acid, you, you could get acid reflux and then people will take things to Reduce. inhibit their acid production yeah. or you neutralize it. Now, sometimes people are overproducing acid, I mean, but it's one of those things where the symptom is related to acid. It's too much acid hitting their esophagus and then they feel it because that's that's when you notice it. Mm -hmm. So they just assume like somehow counter the acid, you know, when in reality the gut is is this uh, totally integrated thing that it's way more complicated than say for example a car engine where it's just, you know, one thing goes in and like another thing goes out. So so yeah, you start at the stomach food gets mixed up with acid, mm -hmm. which signals all kinds of things. Like it signals satiety. It signals, uh, insulin to start being produced. If there's, if, if you tasted sugar, mm -hmm. if you taste glucose, you'll start, your, your pancreas will preload insulin so that the, the blood spike is less when you absorb it. Mm -hmm. Uh, the pancreas, the exocrine pancreas will start to produce, um, bile and, and enzymes to digest fats and stuff. So it's like getting ready you know, a couple feet down here just from like what's going on up here. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah, then it gets into the small intestine, which is called small because like the diameter is really, really small. Mm -hmm. So because of that, there's not a lot of space. It, it easily fills up and that's what makes you feel full. Mm -hmm. And the, the large intestine is large, not because it's longer, but because it's the diameter is a lot bigger, which is why once your food is digested out mm -hmm. of the small intestine, you don't feel full anymore because once it hits the large intestine, it's not stretching it as much because it's so much wider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all, it's all reamed out. <laughs> <laughs> and what's happening in the large intestine? At that point, so the small intestine is where nutrients are absorbed and mm -hmm. almost all of them are absorbed right at the tippy top, which is why when people get gastric bypass, it cuts off the lower part of their stomach, some of that volume, mm -hmm. and the very beginning of their 
small intestine and they lose weight really, really fast because I think it's because endotoxin is getting absorbed at that really absorptive part of the small intestine, the very top, the duodenum. Mm -hmm. And you cut that out and then all of a sudden you're getting, you're absorbing less food, but very quickly your body will just turn the next section of your intestine into like the duodenum again. It'll be like, okay, now you do the absorption. Hmm. Uh, but the bacteria that was there that was producing endotoxin will take mm -hmm. a long time to come back and may not come back at all. So I think that's why people get, so you, you get all the nutrients and then what ends up in the colon is basically you just get water. So mm -hmm. it's just squeezing, you know, things that weren't absorbed that squeezing water out of it. Uh, and, okay. and then also you get the butyric acid and a bunch of other things that the colonic bacteria produce, which vegetarians will say that's where you can get B12 right. because they can produce B12, those bacteria, but you can't really absorb it because most of the absorption is happening in the upper limit, uh, upper part. Yeah. And specifically B12 requires a cofactor mm -hmm. to get absorbed into intestinal cells. And mm -hmm. that's just not present far down into the colon. Mm -hmm. I've actually heard that some traditional cultures that were vegetarian would like eat fecal extract or something. Yeah. Because yeah. which, <laughs> it, which is effect like <laughs> we've talked about this last speaking, time too. <laughs> yeah. If you couldn't get B12 any other way, that would be a way that would probably work. Make a shit smoothie. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you mentioned, um, and what, what is butyric acid? What's the significance of butyric acid? Oh, it's a really short chain. It's like, I think it's the four carbon saturated fatty acid. It's like mm -hmm. the shortest fatty acid that's normally found. Uh, it's also what gives, uh, it's named after butter. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's what gives butter its butter smell and flavor, but just small amounts. If you have a lot of butyric acid, it's like really, really potent and crazy and it'll make you sick. Mm -hmm. But there's just some of it because butter is mostly longer chain like palminic acid and, and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, so it's just a short chain fatty acid that bacteria produce during their metabolism, the kind of bacteria that live in your colon. And uh, the intestinal cells that line the colon have evolved to absorb that and they really like it for fuel, mm -hmm. uh, which makes sense because they have access to it. Okay, that makes sense. And you mentioned endotoxin. What the yes. fuck is endotoxin, man? Yeah, that's the big that's the big baddie. The big I think baddie. everybody pretty much agrees that that's bad. There's wow. very few things that everybody agrees is bad. You know, you know, I don't know, man. I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I, you got to go pretty. I think the average person has never even heard that fucking word, man. I think. Uh, oh, I mean, like like uh, science nerd, like. <laughs> the diet fat. The, well, okay, people that yeah. are super paleo, paleo, whatever in all the worlds. Um, yeah, like whether you're a repeat person, uh, carnivore, keto, paleo, low fat, vegetarian, pretty much everybody would agree that endotoxin isn't good. Except breatharians, my friend. Second joke of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're the. All right. The so what? What the fuck is endotoxin, man? <laughs> uh, it's just a product of bacteria, uh, gram negative bacteria. What do you mean so, by gram-negative bacteria? So bacteria are split up into two main groups, which is whether this stain 
that's that stains their cells invented by this guy named Graham Mm -hmm. uh, will stay on them or not. So if they're Graham positive, then you can put the stain on a plate of bacteria and wash it and it'll stick to the bacteria. And if they're Graham negative, then if you apply the stain to a Petri dish of bacteria and then wash it, it won't stick to the bacteria. So the Graham negative bacteria have a coating on top of their cell wall. So the stain sticks to the cell walls of the bacteria. Okay. So the gram positive just have their cell wall. Mm-hmm. And there's some stuff like st- like they have proteins and all kinds of stuff in their cell wall, but they kind of have this relatively naked cell wall mm-hmm. and the chemical stain can stick to it. And, and then you can see it, right? It's like a color. And the gram negative bacteria have their cell wall and then they have an extra layer of mostly protein and then proteins that are um, combined with little pieces of lipids and uh, carbohydrates in these specific bacterial products that are collectively called endotoxin. And they're called endotoxin because endo means inside and of course toxin. So it's a toxin that's produced inside of the body. Okay. And so that, it's not something that's you're getting how it was out. discovered. Okay, so you're not getting it from food necessarily. It's just it's literally being produced inside your body. Well, it's getting produced by the bacteria. So when it was first discovered, people were like, "Oh, I'm, you know, it's a toxin that's being produced in this person's gut. Okay. Now it's being produced by bacteria, but that's why it's called endotoxin. It's like, you know, as opposed to exo. Okay. So you could consider your gut outside of your body. Some people do. Right, you, you uh, hear that analogy a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but in insofar as like the original medical definition of endotoxin, it was this idea that people are being intoxicated, or that these toxic products are are ending up in their bloodstream, and it's coming from inside their body. It's not like they're drinking bad water, or mm-hmm. you know what I mean. Or, or, and it's or something specifically like that. made from bacteria. The combining from from food bacteria, or can you make it if you're not eating any food, for example? Like, if you, let's say if you're fasting, can you produce endotoxin? Uh, not really. Not um, really. Okay. Or, or so not as the, much, at least, right? Okay. Yeah. The, the bacteria that would have produced it would eventually run out of food and go dormant, or some of them would die, you know, in your mm. gut. So mm-hmm. at a certain point of fasting, you would, you know, stop producing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so maybe, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, it's basically an effect of having a certain kind of bacteria, so gram-negative bacteria, in the small intestine, the part of the, the the area of the small intestine that is particularly absorptive, and um, and then also perhaps you know people talk about leaky gut and stuff like that, or like mm-hmm. bad gut barrier function. So it's kind of all those things together where you have because normally. Like we said before, the small intestine should be much less full of bacteria than the large intestine. And normally that's taken care of by um, just the action of the intestines kind of squeezing things down. And the pancreatic bile secretions are kind of antibiotic and also bind to things and just push them out. Mm -hmm. So if you have a really well-functioning gut, you're sort of flushing down the bacteria all the time. Okay. And if it gets sort of sluggish, like whether it's slow, you know, you have really slow digestion or you have weak digestion, like we were saying, don't produce that much stomach acid. If you're not producing that much stomach acid, you're probably also not producing that much bile. 
because mm-hmm. it's sort of like a metabolic problem, then it'll allow these bacteria to build up. And if they're the type of bacteria that, that may, the, the gram-negative bacteria, then you'll have a certain amount of this product being made uh, as they sit there and kind of eat your food and then give you this like little mm-hmm. gift. <laughs> Interesting. So, so is it fair to say that um, pretty much people that, you know, those people that have consistently have problems with their digestion or have digestive problems just over and over, you know, there's, cause there's all, always those people that you meet just once a, once a month or whatever, once a week, they always have some sort of problems with their digestion. Is it fair to say that they probably have a high level of this endotoxin? Yeah, probably. I'm mm-hmm. not sure it causes, see the digestive problems are like, there's so many different ways to get them. A lot of them are also bacteria, but the gut will react or overreact to the presence of bacteria by making serotonin in the gut, which is what gives you cramps. Mm-hmm. And, or even when people, like some people can't tolerate spicy food. And mm-hmm. it's not really that the, you know, the capsaicin is like causing their stomach to hurt. It's the, it's telling the gut cells that there's an irritant in there and then they spasm to like get it out mm-hmm. sort of like if you have diarrhea or something and it's, and it's, that's what causes the cramps is that spasming and it's largely driven by serotonin and all the, the, uh, muscle like re- stronger than usual muscle contractions of the smooth muscle around the intestine mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i want to talk to you about serotonin but first let's finish on endotoxin um <laughs> so so you think um people have this endotoxin and is there ways that probably you can't you know take a blood test for it right because it's in your gut the only, the only way to probably measure it would be to like literally you know <laughs> You get into well, your, if your it's, small intestine, mm-hmm. if it's causing problems, it's probably in your blood because oh, okay. the, the problems that endotoxin or that I would worry about the most is stuff happening in the blood because it's, um, it's, it's very inflammatory. So if you have a steady stream of it going in there, it'll do things like get in the way of insulin signaling. You know, people talk about insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, there's a lot of evidence Endotoxin in the blood is probably related to most of those low, like chronic inflammatory conditions that end up causing the whole metabolic syndrome thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. So, but can you measure it in the blood somehow? Can you take a test for something? Yeah, usually it's measured in clinical studies as after eating a meal. So they'll call it postprandial endotoxemia. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'll have a group of people and you'll say, okay, um, like for example, people with some type of cardiovascular disease, do they have more postprandial endotoxemia than people without heart disease? And they do. So hmm. they would bring somebody in, take some of their blood, give them a meal, mm-hmm. wait, I, I don't like say half an hour, hour, something like that, and then take their blood again and measure the pre and post meal endotoxemia. And if you have a lot of endotoxin producing bacteria in your gut, and it's getting absorbed, then you will see that, you know, a spike in hmm. blood endotoxin after a meal. Interesting, man. I don't know, man. I haven't heard too many people talking about taking a test for endotoxin. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think you can do it at your own. The problem is it's not really uh, available to 
the, the public, know, people, general public. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even here in California, you can do you know you can do self uh, blood tests. You can go you know direct labs or whatever. You don't have to have a doctor, mm -hmm. but I doubt it that it's there. But that's interesting, man. So and and so, um, what can you do to reduce the amount of endotoxin that you have in your gut? Sorry, I used well, the word gut. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that well, that's why Ray believes in you know trying to go for the sterile gut. Right. And by that, he means the small intestine, because that's really like the one guaranteed way would just to be ha to have uh, very low levels of bacteria in the small intestine, because then it's just not an issue. Uh, the other things would be it, you can sort of deal with it by n not eating carbohydrate. Uh. <laughs> mm, mm. So then that goes back to that same thing of like, I was going to, that's what I was going to ask you about fasting too. It's, um, so maybe all these benefits, all these things people are feeling is that they're just not feeding that endotoxin, mm. right? By having a ketogenic diet because they're not consuming, because all the food is getting absorbed. It's not staying in the gut, right? And fasting. Yeah. And because like if you're just eating, for example, meat, um, the amount of protein and fatty acids that bacteria can break down before you absorb the food is way less. It's, it's way, that's a way harder substrate for them to use for energy and have themselves have high numbers, you know, than, uh, sugars. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's probably especially early benefits. Like when somebody does, you know, low carb or keto or whatever for a few months and they're like, Oh man, I lost so much weight and my fasting insulin is down and or fasting glucose or whatever. And all that kind of stuff. Those kinds of really fast effects are probably a result of just kicking endotoxin out of their blood you're blowing my mind right now man i don't know i haven't heard anybody talk about it that much <laughs> honestly you do hear it in the repeat circles but not in this kind of connection way um so you're saying so okay so you're saying that repeat says uh try to go for the uh, sterile gut thing how do you do that so that's what i'm trying to get at is um how do you how what can you do uh antibiotics mm. um, now of course that's has its own issue I, you know I used to not believe that antibiotics because people will say I took antibiotics and then it messed up my gut forever because <laughs> like it changed their gut bacteria. Right. And I used to, I guess not believe people, but I've heard enough people that I believed where I was like, okay, so that can happen. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It's, it's weird. I also, I do think that there's different, different, well, there are different ones, but you know what I'm saying? I think there's probably just more heavier, har harmful ones and there's ones that are not because it's, it's weird. Like you said, yeah, you have heard some people that take them constantly or once a year or whatever, they have an infection or some sort of shit. They seem to be fine. Right. And other people, like you said, they're just ruined forever. Yeah. Well, it's kind of, and this gets, like what I was saying before about the small intestine, large intestine thing, the gut microbiome science is at a very early stage mm -hmm. because basically if you're, if you can mess up your gut with antibiotics, what that means is you took the antibiotic, it killed a bunch of gut bacteria. And when the bacteria came back, they were say at a different ratio. Like you used to have this much of this kind and this much of this kind, yada, yada, and say that was good for you mm -hmm. and you didn't have bad symptoms. And then you killed a bunch of them and maybe you killed mostly this kind and not so much this kind. Mm -hmm. Or you kill both of them, but this kind comes back faster. So now instead of like 60-40, it's like 
28 weird balance mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and there's no way to predict that i mean the, the the tools and the understanding of the science at this point is way that's way beyond the like you there's no way even like one of the top gut microbiome labs could take a person and predict okay based on what you're you know say they did like a scope you know an endoscopy and like sucked up your gut juices and plated it and figured out exactly what kind of bacteria you have here and here and here and all that, they still wouldn't be able to know because when you take an antibiotic, it's not just what bacteria you have. It's like, again, all the stuff with your your stomach acid and your pancreas that's naturally keeping the bacteria populations at a certain amount and mm-hmm. a certain type. So like you, ju- you just never know. Like somebody could take antibiotics 99 times and when they get off the antibiotics, their gut microbiome snaps back to what it was before. Mm-hmm. And then a hundredth time it could like change it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did you take antibiotics with your COVID thing? Uh, no, I didn't, but I did take antibiotics for the persistent chest thing. Mm-hmm. Cause after about two weeks I was like, okay, like I don't want to <laughs> just have, cause I thought maybe I had low level pneumonia mm-hmm. or some kind of secondary infection, which mm-hmm. would, not be too unreasonable for a viral infection of the lungs. So I was like, well, I can't just, even though this isn't, the symptoms are not uh, strong, mm-hmm. uh, I don't want to just ignore it, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I went to the doctor and they gave me z Yeah, z Which is a pretty, pretty powerful antibiotic and also prednisone, which mm-hmm. was the worst thing I've ever taken. Why is that? Well, that's a, that's a uh, synthetic cortisol <laughs> mimic. So I was basically giving myself like hypercortisolemia mm-hmm. for, I guess, five days, seven days, whatever the course was. And after the second or third day, yeah. I just couldn't sleep. Yeah. And I felt like crap all day. Was your face puffy? You I don't think, yeah, I don't think I took it long enough. You know, I, I think you have to take it for like probably a couple weeks or because yeah people that are on it chronically yeah they get a puffy face and everything yeah they get that like monster face thing yeah i don't think i don't think i got that but it it was just like oh and then my gut got so bad because i think it inhibited my um like gut peristalsis and stuff like it slowed it down Uh and i just started like having these gut symptoms Okay. And I was like, oh, my God, did I mess up my gut? I thought maybe it was the antibiotics. They were having the same. Well, so that's what I'm saying. So, so you don't think it was – so you don't think it was a Z-Pack. You think it was more the prednisone? Yeah, because it stayed. So I, the Z-Pack was for four or five days and the, the prednisone was for like three days longer. Mm-hmm. And basically all of my bad symptoms went away not after that – like – the timing of everything changing, it all kind of went back to normal mm-hmm. like four days after I stopped taking the prednisone. Mm-hmm. So it seems like that was it. I guess I can't know for sure. But I've taken antibiotics before and I never really had an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a, a big a book about it. I can't remember the name of it. I, I read a book. It's about all the antibiotics. Uh, it's just we're becoming uh, – desensitized to them though, aren't we? Because people are taking them so often, I think. And then they have they need bigger and bigger prescriptions. I don't know, man. It's a tricky thing, those 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 antibiotics. Yeah, I mean it depends it depends what kind and uh yeah, the antibiotic resistance thing. I I've heard some people say that that's kind of overblown. Um mm-hmm. it's mostly a problem in hospitals. 
Because you'll have people there that are already health compromised, and then there's just strains of bacteria that are getting hit because mm-hmm. they exist in the hospital, you know, mm-hmm. and they become like super. So to go back to endotoxin, so you said, you know, antibiotics, obviously one way to reduce that. And so we were talking about carnivore and fasting. So basically not eating those super hard to digest foods would also be something that people can do in order to reduce the endotoxin. Yeah, I've heard some people say that starch, like cutting out starch is a good idea. I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty okay with starch. Like I have a hard time telling people not to eat starch anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, it depends. And this is another question that you can't really answer, but it's like where in your small intestine are these bacteria? If right. you could know, cause you kind of know where the different foods, like if you eat sugar, that just gets absorbed right away at the tippy top. Mm-hmm. So if, if you don't have a lot of bacteria all the way to the very top of your small intestine and you eat really simple sugars, they're going to be very little to ferment because it's not going to make it very far. So sugars, and, are, uh, simple sugars are pretty, pretty easy things to digest. That's why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, you know, they'll take a little bit longer if they're in fruit because of the fiber and stuff, but it's still, it's still not that much. Um, it's really like starches, especially cold starches. So like if you ate like, I don't know, potato salad or something that's been chilled, mm-hmm. um, that'll go much further down the gut before being absorbed than uh, yeah. sugar. Yeah. Cause that's the, the, with the gut microbiome people with some of them, that's the kind of the new thing is the, um, what do they call it? Prebiotic fiber now, right? They say like a cook, cook a sweet potato, put it in the fridge. And then that produces, what's the type of that fiber that it becomes? Resistant starch. Resistant starch. And so the idea with them being is that you want to, it provides you with good beneficial bacteria. But does that also (laughs) mean that you're getting more endotoxin, you're feeding your endotoxin more? Well, it depends. So if you don't have uh, endotoxin producing bacteria in your small intestine where the resistant starch is going to get to, then it wouldn't be a problem. So it's like one of those things you don't really know, huh. uh, you know what's going to happen. But yeah, the reason why that happens is because starch, like, expands and contracts based on heat. Mm-hmm. So when you cook starch, it relaxes it. It likes, um, kind of like when you uh, wash clothes. You know how clothes can shrink, like in the heater and the dryer and stuff. And the, yeah. so when you wash them, they kind of like the fibers relax, and then as you dry them, they they can. If you dry them with heat, they can get closer together. Uh, with starch, when you hit them with heat, they relax. And then when you chill them, they get closer together. Mm-hmm. And the closer together they are, the less surface area there is for the starch digesting enzyme to get in there and to mm-hmm. break it down. And mm-hmm. also like acids and other things that help facilitate that process. So it's like packed tighter. And that's why it's, re- that's why it's called resistant. Mm-hmm. And do you even understand the difference between starch and like sugar? How would you explain that? I think technically a sugar is anything three like monomers because maltose I think is called a sugar and that's three things. That's uh, what is it? Glucose. Lactose, <laughs> right? Or no? And, and, and fr- is it all? I forget which three. But yeah, so there's monosaccharides, disaccharides, and trisaccharides. Okay. Uh, and then anything after that is just called polysaccharides. Mm -hmm. And then at a certain point, 
they just start to call it starch. Mm-hmm. And, and that that's, could, it's kind it, of arbitrary. Yeah, it's a bi- it's a big name. It's not really anything specific. Because mo- most starches are many hundreds of units, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as they get digested, they break down. So, like, if you if you chewed starch long enough in your mouth, eventually it would start to taste like glucose, hmm. which isn't which isn't as sweet as sucrose, but it is sweet. So like if you just chewed it and chewed it and chewed it and let your saliva break it down and break it down and break it down for a long time, eventually it would start to taste sweet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So wh- why would do you not, because, you know, again, in the some worlds, starch is not really, is really frowned upon. Um, why, why do you have a hard time telling people not to eat starch? Is it the satiety level? Because uh, people, I I guess I have a little bit of, like ancestral sort of leaning or bias where for, you know, is starches are one of the early foods of agriculture age. Uh And a lot of people don't like that. And I can see why, but it's not like it's a hundred years, you know, it's like many thousands of years. People have been digging up tubers and even using grains. So I think something that has that kind of history it's hard for me to demonize it mm-hmm. um, all the way. I mean, some people, like, I'm totally open to the idea that somebody might, you know, certain people might benefit from cutting out starch. Uh, and it's certainly worth trying. And there's nothing wrong with trying it. Like, if you just want to say, okay, well, I eat a certain amount of, like, rice or bread, I'm just going to replace that carbohydrate calories with fruit or mm-hmm. fruit juice or something like that and see what happens. Mm-hmm. That's totally a fine experiment to do. But if you don't notice any benefits, don't just keep doing it because you think uh-huh. it's good, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. The one thing that uh, people talk about with starch, though, is that you can't really see. And I'm not sure this really causes significant issues, but supposedly starch granules, before they're fully broken down, they can get to a size where they can get past the intestinal cells, the enterocytes and into the blood. So you could have, you know, these little granules and that can cause inflammation and also supposedly get stuck in really small blood vessels. Hmm. And it's called persorption. Right. I think I've heard that somewhere actually. I think that's one of the reasons they were saying there's a group of people that don't eat it if they have had heart disease where they, you know, they want to keep all their blood vessels nice and healthy so they don't eat any starch because of that reason. So right. you're not sure about that, about that research though, huh? Well, I know it's a, it's a thing that can happen. I just don't know if the average person, it happens significantly or if they digest it effectively enough that there is insignificant persorption of starch mm-hmm. granules. So I, it's one of those things like, um, you, you know, everything – like you can demonstrate something can happen in the lab, but that doesn't mean it's like uh, a thing that happens enough to to matter, like outside of the lab, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And now fruit, some fruit are also more of a starch, right, than a real fruit like we think of, you know. Yeah. Well, before fruits get sweet, so like if you eat a green banana, it's pretty starchy. Mm-hmm. Or like, <laughs> yeah, or like a platano, yeah, plantain. Yeah, that's pretty starchy. Um, what an apple stuff like that. That's also quite starchy, kind of a fruit. I don't know how starchy it is. I know it has pectin, which mm-hmm. is um, 
kind of a starch it's like a starch mimic it has it's it's like glucose but it's linked together in a different way so that it doesn't get digested the same way which is why that's considered an insoluble fiber uh, it it persists in the it's also it's a resistant and a prebiotic actually pectin uh, it's kind of like those gums, you know, those gums like uh, gelin gum or guar gum mm-hmm, and all that mm-hmm. stuff. They are um, different permutations of uh, sugar attachments. So starch is just a really long sugar molecule mm-hmm. and it's it's glucose. And the way it's connected, we digest it really, really fast. So it's like this thing that, we ha- that you eat and it chops it up really fast into glucose. But if you arrange those individual molecules in different orientations then our enzymes don't chop it up the same way mm-hmm. so like pectin is like that so it'll it'll stay because we don't really have the enzymes to break it down mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. so it'll either get broken down by bacteria or whatever mm. and those gums do you what do you think about those gums because those fucking things you see everywhere every ice cream has right. it every every candy bar has they're fucking everywhere man really well not hagen does yeah, that's right. That's right. Go for the hunger and that's, that's right. That's right. You know, but it's funny. Even some of the organic ones, like you, it's like you go to a store and it's like organic, you know, made by blind kids in China with their feet stuff. You know, and then it's like, <laughs> it's it's fucking. And you flip it over, it has like carrageenan and gore gum, all all those gums that you said. Right. What's the deal? Yeah, with- that is that is pretty annoying. It's so super annoying because, and it's also way more expensive. And it's like I said, it's like you know, super advertised, super healthy stuff. What's the deal with those gums? Um, by the way, a lot of bodybuilders put it in their shakes too, because it thickens up the shake kind of thing. Right. Yeah, that's why they're used in food processing because it's cheap. You can like grow it industrially, and yeah, it 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 uh, is a very easy way to thicken things up and improve the texture. So like any kind of sauce. You know, that you don't want to be watery. Um, you could just put one of these gums in it at a certain level and it just thickens up. So um, as far as I know, I, I used to be really anti-gums. And I certainly don't think you should be adding them to your shakes or anything like that. <laughs> but, I know guys that dump half, giant half bags of those things in the shake. Oh, Seriously, man. man. So – a lot of them like pectin and I would have to look at the molecules of – so a lot of them are from like tree, like tree bark mm-hmm. uh, and and uh, so carrageenan though. That's the one – that's from seaweed and that one has an extensive history in the medical literature of being used as a stimulant of inflammation to test anti-inflammatory drugs. Mm-hmm. So like uh, they'll take like a rat and – give the rat an injection of carrageenan like into its paw or yeah, its leg yeah, or something. Yeah, I shared that study actually. That's the exact same thing where they inject it into the paw to test if it gets inf- – to test a drug, right? If it's going to yeah. decrease the inflammatory response. So that one, because it's a seaweed, mm-hmm. um, I think that it is more inflammatory because our bodies see it as more foreign, right? Sort of like that bacterial endotoxin is extremely foreign – Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that's kind of like a a rule of thumb or whatever. Like the more foreign a molecule is, like if you just introduced it into your body, if it's from a more distantly related or uh, some type of organism that you're not used to eating, mm-hmm. it's more likely to be seen as foreign, right? Just on average. So I think a lot of the gums that come from plants mm-hmm. are less inflammatory because people have been consuming plant foods 
for a mm-hmm. while, but things like seaweed, that's a little bit more exotic. Uh, so the carrageenan, I try to avoid if at all possible. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, the other gums, like I was buying organic cream uh, just for my coffee and it had like gel in gum or just, you know, one of them. And it just had one. Like it's annoying when you look at the label and it's got like four different gums. <laughs> yeah, man, that's what I'm saying. It's fucking crazy. It's like you guys couldn't get the consistency with just two gums. You have to use five. Like, <laughs> what yeah, kind man. of like weird recipe experiment? Yeah, there's a super expensive fucking uh, good, delicious, delicious ice cream shop here. But I got you know you always get it in a scoop so you don't know the ingredients. But I got a pint and I looked at the fucking pint and yeah, it had carrageenan <laughs> and it had three different fucking types of gums and it has just like everything in there, man. So, God. <laughs> but also for them, they have to use less ingredients, right? Because it thickens it up, so they save some money with that and they get the consistency that they want. So the problem with the gums, as I understand it, is that one they can be inflammatory in and of themselves. So like if you have like a leaky gut issue or if your gut is just particularly sensitive, it may have a a reaction to just the presence, I think particularly of carrageenan and perhaps the other ones too that are derived from plants. And then the second problem is that it can provide food for bacteria and if the bacteria is and it since it's resistant to our digestion it can go the whole length of the gut so like if at any point in your gut there's bacteria that are bad that can eat these gums it'll increase you know their population and stuff and that could give you symptoms on that level mhm mhm and i was going to ask you about uh, artificial sweeteners how about those things? Because mm. you see that, yeah, <laughs> we're getting into deep waters here, huh? Because, <laughs> <you, laughs> yeah, again, it's come, you know, the healthy, natural kind of people, they avoid those things at all costs because they say that, even like uh, Rhonda Patrick, who you know is a pretty mainstream kind of doc, nutrition doc, um, she talks about them altering your gut microbiome thing, which, whatever mm-hmm. the fuck that means. Right. But then you have like, um, what's that bodybuilder guy? power lifter bio lane who i'm not a huge fan mm. of because he's like he, he, he fucking guy's constantly injured on and off all the fucking time so i don't oh, know really? yeah it's like a back problem and it's, i went too hard in the gym today and he's just like always trying to lift like you know 605 or some shit like that so anyway what do you think about some <laughs> of the <laughs> some of the crazy artificial sweeteners well there's different families of them mm-hmm. uh and they have different props so I just avoid them because this that's one of the best parts about not being sugar phobic is mm-hmm. being liberated from <laughs> the that whole racket of like how do I get something to taste sweet when I can't eat sweet things. Right. And then it goes down this whole rabbit hole. So the sugar alcohols, you know, there's they're in a lot of like protein bars and stuff. Um, those give a lot of people gut symptoms because they don't digest and they, uh, they're osmotically active. So they carry water down with them. So if you were to eat a ton of them, Mm -hmm. I guess, especially if you aren't used to it, it would be sort of like somebody who's lactose intolerant, you know, because that's what causes the diarrhea for them is they, the lactose just goes down the gut and pulls water with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the ones that are, um, sort of related to neurotransmitters (laughs) like (laughs) 
uh, like the you know like GABA and glutamate and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. those neurotransmitters. Is aspartame they, they get one tweaked. of those? Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. They get tweaked up, and you know you can get novel combinations of those molecules that ha- make the sweet taste on the tongue, basically, and aren't uh, absorb you know digestible or absorbable for calories. So people just go with it. Um, I don't know what the problem is with the, like, I don't know if, uh, they can like give signaling like neurotransmitter signaling in your gut. Mm. Um, I mean, that's, that's the issue. A lot of people say they have with monosodium glutamate, you know, it gives them these gut symptoms and supposedly it overexcites the, because it, it does the glutamate signaling thing. Oh, that's a big but, debate right now. MSG, man, that's a big debate. So you, you're, right. not, you're not seeing any crazy adverse reactions. Like some people say that it, that it does give to them, huh? Yeah, it's actually MSG It is almost had like some magical studies. I've read one of them where a bunch of people, when they were told they were eating MSG, had this reaction and it was like under controlled conditions. Mm-hmm. And then when they weren't told that there was MSG in the food, like less of them had the reaction. <laughs> but it wasn't even like a, re- it wasn't a subjective reaction. It was like a measurable reaction. Hmm. You know, it wasn't them just saying, oh, I feel crappy. They can measure it. Placebo effect, man. It's real. Right. Uh, th- I had a friend actually in graduate school that uh, did his dissertation on artificial sweeteners. Okay. And I participated in the study. Oh, that's uh, awesome. So how did it go? It was – so I was, a, I was one of the subjects. And the study was – because the thing with artificial sweeteners is – they still affect your blood glucose and your insulin because depending on how they affect your taste system, it tells your body to start preloading insulin and, you know, all kinds of downstream hormones to deal with a meal hmm, of, hmm. That, that has uh, sugar in it. Right. Um, so there's all these levels where that's happening. So it still interacts in an altered way with that system. And there's some people that are suggesting that it could even be more damaging to your glucose metabolism to chronically trick the system mm-hmm. and not have the sugar than to just, you know, if you had just consumed an equi sweet amount of just regular actual sugar product. Yeah, which is interesting for the, you know, if um, if we're talking about like the bodybuilders, because a lot of people, yes, they're maybe sugar phobic, is it, which, which is why the reason they're using the artificial sweeteners. And then the other group of people are the ones that are like bodybuilders or whatever. They're trying to keep their calories low. And so they're, mm-hmm. but they want sweet foods. And um, yeah, I, I actually had a girl one time that uh, was having trouble losing extra weight and then I figured out that she was having like three or four monsters, those diet monsters, like a fucking day, you know, which is like, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, <laughs> it's just, you know, wake up the coffee monster. And then she had like, and she had like her day organized, like in the morning, I have like the coffee monster. And then like in lunch is like the green, because the green is really delicious because it's like apple, you know, it's just like the whole fucking day was planned with monsters. And anyway, when she <laughs> cut those fucking things out, she, um, yeah, she lost all the, she, she, she lost more weight. You know, and that was my like just, um, you know, non-scientific, non-researched thought that I was like, yeah, maybe because you're eating something sweet, your body is preparing, you know, all the same things, like you said, insulin and it's releasing all this stuff. 
to get to prepare to digest this fucking sweet which is not coming then and um yeah it's an interesting thing man yeah that's crazy four monsters a day huh Oh, yeah. that's 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 an average person. And see, it all comes back to that sugar phobic thing, though, because it's like that's what people are doing that, though, is because they're afraid of having the sugar because they think it's bad. So then they'll mm-hmm. go like have the, the zero calorie thing because they but they want something sweet. Right. Mm-hmm. And they're not connecting the dots. And also they need the fucking ca- caffeine because they're waking up you know, fighting with their boyfriend and they're going to do morning cardio. They, they need like four espressos to get going. I mean, some of these people are knocking on death, death's door, man. I mean, they're fucking, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, especially the closer they get to um, competition and stuff. Yeah, so they, they need the caffeine. So they're having having monsters. Um, and yeah, they're not having just like regular coffee, which is like a, a teaspoon of sugar has like what, 30 calories, I think, right? Might only be fifteen or twenty. Yeah, it's not much. Let's say that. Yeah, where it's like, hey, <laughs> just have to to you know, you you'll be more <laughs> satisfied probably with a coffee with some sugar in there. But um, right, yeah, all the monster things are fucking huge, man, and Red Bulls and all that stuff. I don't know. Yeah, I don't like the way they taste. <laughs> like just the the mon- like I the coffee one is okay because it basically just tastes like iced coffee. Mm-hmm. But those uh, the sweet. That like the fruity monsters, like not even not even on a health level. I just don't understand. It's like <laughs> carbonated fruit punch <laughs> in a can. I don't. I just don't get it. I don't yeah, understand. dude. I don't. I don't. I don't get it either. It, it's a. I think it became more of a statement icon thing. I, I can't tell you how many seminars and and bodybuilders I've met that they just constantly have a fucking mon- hey I mean who's the sponsor of the UFC what what's the can that they hold when they're done with the fight it's a fucking monster man is it monster yeah that's never- so you know what's crazy about that so it's 2020 uh-huh i remember <laughs> monster so i started my first experience with like any kind of fitness stuff was either sophomore or junior year in high school i started lifting weights at the local gym this gym opened up um, just, you know, regular, like just all the normal stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Free weights, machines, treadmills, yada, yada, just a regular gym. Mm-hmm. So I started going there and like with other high school boys, my age and learned how to lift weights and stuff. And the guy that owned it was in his thirties and he was kind of hip and like into trendy stuff. So like he, I remember when Under Armour came out because he had like the first batch of Under Armour. Oh, bro, he was hardcore as fuck. That guy lifted. It's like 1998 or <laughs> like 99, and it's like Under Armour just came out, and he's like, "Oh, it's so cool." Did he say then, you must protect this house? Did he do that or no? When you walked <laughs> into the gym, did he say, "Hey, yet. Kyle, you must protect this house, motherfucker"? <laughs> I remember dudes walking around saying that shit, man. <laughs> yeah, I had. I used to have a couple of. Uh, the thin under armors like because i could fit into them for because i was basically like as after i like i was a junior in high school like i i was just the same size for like the rest of my life so, <laughs> so like i had them and i don't think i have them anymore because they were just so old but i had them for years and years but yeah and he had monster i remember monster was in the little fridge of oh, yeah. like gym drinks in like 1999 or 2000 oh yeah and now it's popular and it's like took a while <laughs> how did that how did something exist for that long and then become a fad 
like they, 15 years after it was they new. They kept it going. Red Bull did it right, though, right? Red Bull was popular right away, man. It was about the same time I feel like it came out, too, right? Although Red Bull has... Yeah, Red Bull was super popular, and then I didn't see that much about it, and then it got popular again. Mm-hmm. Well, part we of it was the the BMX, the, the the crazy yeah. fucking thing, the the ultimate whatever sports that they were doing. So yeah. I think that popularized it a bit, uh, or a bit, a lot. Um, yeah, but those were the early days of uh, Monster, and then um, and then Four Loco came about after that. Remember Four Loco? <laughs> I never got to try it. You never tried a real Four Loco? Yeah, that, oh, that's the man. one with the alcohol and caffeine, right? Oh, oh and like a thousand other things that you don't even know what they were. <laughs> <laughs> that's the only time in my life where I blacked out, my friend. <laughs> nice. Yeah, yeah. I had I had one. No, we had a half. And then I was like, I'm pretty drunk. <laughs> and then I had the other half, and I don't remember what happened. <laughs> That's how it was. That shit was crazy. It's still around, but they like changed the formula, whatever, kept the name. But yeah, the real stuff was, I don't know, it was poison. I mean, you hear, this was like early days of the internet, so you know, you didn't get all yeah, the news yeah, there. Yeah. But, but there, was, there was news of, or talks of people you know, having two of them and dying and stuff like that, or going to a coma and going to the hospital. Yeah, I remember I heard about that, and me and my friends were like, "Oh, we got to try it." And then it was, um, it was made illegal in some places or in <laughs> in some way, and it was hard to get. And the, I think when they brought it back on the market, it wasn't the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still around. There's probably some kids in Florida. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should. I probably could find it around here. One hundred percent. Which is how you like Florida, man? Because you're not originally from Florida, right? Yeah, no, I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like Florida? I thought you liked Florida. Um, I liked it okay until this year. This year, uh, it rained more than the other years, uh-huh. and the love bugs were worse than the other years, which love bugs are these – they look kind of like lightning bugs, and they mate, and they stick together by their butts and fly around. Oh, wow. And they swarm everywhere. And when it's really, really bad, you have to wash your car like every other day because just driving to work and back, your front of your car will be plastered with these bugs. Wow. It's funny you say that, man. We were just talking about it here, though. And in, in LA has always, I've been here for over 10 years now, 10 years, 11 years. And um, it, it was always like almost no mosquitoes, no nothing. And then just in the last year or two, it's like, you're getting mosquitoes and you're getting more bugs going around. I don't know, man. Maybe it's that fucking Bill Gates releasing his crazy mosquito shit. Have you heard about that? <laughs> the, no, I didn't hear about the mosquito thing. No, Maybe they're... it's just the homeless people keep a lot of standing water. Oh, well, that's for sure, too. <laughs> <laughs> homeless puddles. Oh, yeah, dude. They're doing whatever. They're they're. I, I walked by a tent the other day. They were banging in there like out loud, middle of the day. It was great. <laughs> that's L.A. Well, come to L.A., man. You've been to California? Yeah. Um uh I yeah, I've been to California a couple times. Um one time was in LA. I went to the first ancestral health symposium ah. in 2011. You probably met some characters there, huh? I met uh Michael Eads or Edies. He's like the guy that wrote Protein Power. He was one of the initial like high protein low carb guys back in the 80s and 90s. He's still around. Mm-hmm. I think, I think I met Gary Tobbs. I can't quite remember. Oh, that must have been fun. 
That guy's a little interesting, huh? Yeah, he's uh, <laughs> kind of fallen from grace a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I met Denise Minger. I don't know if you know who that is. She's She was in the paleo world. And know. yeah, she's kind of like cute paleo girl. She's the, oh, okay. Well, like not always the brand. Case. Like that's her brand. Hey, if a girl is cute and, and hot, she <laughs> obviously knows what she's talking about with diet. She, she actually, of all of the cute nutrition girls, because – now, I mean, with Instagram and stuff, there's just so many. Mm-hmm. But she was kind of OG, and she actually got famous on a blog post that did not even have her picture on it. That's fucking it was, uh, wow. Debunking the China study. This is like over ten years. It's probably ten years. No, yeah, it was over ten years ago, I think. Mm. But she, I guess she took a college class in statistics, and she and um, the China study book, which was this big pro vegetarian book, yeah. they published their raw data that you could just, I guess, buy on Amazon. I think that's how she got it. So she just took the raw data and ran the statistics herself with a couple different methods and was able to show that they were being very misleading mm-hmm. with how they were presenting. Like they were picking the statistical method that said, you know, was the best for their case in every situation. Yeah, they were throwing and, out the, the, all the other cases that weren't coinciding yeah. with their thing. Mm-hmm. And they would call something a big effect in one case if it was showing what they wanted, but if it was the same size effect but not in the direction they wanted, they'd call it like insignificant, stuff like that. So she she did like a big blog post. It was one of the like early big internet sort of things. And then, yeah, it ended up she was really pretty, so she just blew up. Hmm. Is she still around too? Yeah, yeah, I think so. So what's her deal um, now? She, paleo kind of thing still? Ancestral health kind of thing? thing? Yeah, she's um, she really early though came out like pro-carb, like against the demonization of carbs. Because uh, paleo, what happened with paleo was it got taken over by low carb. Mm. Like pretty early on, like 2010-ish. Uh, it basically just became a low carb diet. Fuck, man. And at the end of the day, it's just people wanting to make money. That's really what it's come down to because it's like then it became a thing of like primal. Then it was like primal keto ancestral paleo. Then it, you know because then the Marxism guy became super popular, right? Because his thing is primal. He uses a different word. Yeah. Well, yeah, he he's a good internet marketer. He's um, genius. He just he, he speaking of Florida. He just moved to Florida too. He left Malibu and moved down to Florida. because oh. he oh yeah because he made like millions of money with his uh, thing. He sold his uh, uh, primal kitchen uh, avocado oil yeah. that. All the cavemen obviously ate, you know, make avocado mayonnaise. <laughs> it has like fucking, I don't avocado know. Avocado drugganese. Yeah, it has like 24 grams of fat and like a tablespoon. I mean, it's just like, and um, yeah, so so he made a shitload of money and he moved down to Florida and Miami, I think specifically. And um, Damn, I should like, I should look him up and hang out with him. I met him too. Oh, no uh, shit. No shit. Mm-hmm. At the 2013 one. I went to like four ancestral health symposiums and three of them I gave talks at. And the first one I gave a talk at, I met him and I talked to him for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was nice enough. I mean, a lot of these people, they're not that interesting to talk to because <laughs> like, it's like, um, some people have a really, really good way of presenting and marketing like surface level knowledge. Yeah. And then a lot of people that have really deep knowledge are like weirdos that can't mm-hmm. <laughs> market or present themselves Rapey, very well. Right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Probably the most brilliant example, right? I mean, fuck. I don't know. 
yeah, he has like this weird, mysterious vibe. But he, yeah, he's definitely not like um, he's definitely not learning like search engine optimization or anything like that. <laughs> no, he's. I don't think he's sitting down on YouTube and watching uh, you know videos about how to do how to market his shit better. Yeah, but it's it's like what you said earlier. It's like no, it's just because they're out there doing their thing, promoting their thing, and they're just bouncing around and making money and doing, you know, and they don't have a lot of people, like you said, like you, that would like question them until they get to that point where they don't know what to say and what to answer. And so they just right. go around from the symposium to symposium to give talks. And they're not probably really interesting to talk to if you try to have a long conversation with them about food and stuff or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm, I'm constantly thinking of this quote because I actually wanted to make a couple of videos. Like the next, the next videos that I'm probably going to make are going to be more about like the philosophy of science as it applies to nutritional science, mm -hmm. like what causes fads in ideas mm -hmm. and what, like why is it that there's always kind of like a vegetarian versus like carnivore, you know, like the, what, why do things always kind of break down on battle lines? And, you know, strong claims like even if you don't know what you're talking about, if you say this is bad, like carbs are bad or whatever, like those always win over moderate claims. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, the quote that I was thinking of is actually from uh, Osama bin Laden. <laughs> and he Ooh, said, we'll get a rough uh, some feathers up with that one, Kyle. <laughs> the people follow a strong horse. So like, most people like the, you know, the people like mm -hmm. just sort of the mass of humanity, they react more strongly to strength than to kind of like a sober analysis of like, whether you think this person's correct or what they're saying is true. And that bleeds over into these like guru assertive statements online about nutrition. Like if you can make a strong statement, like this is bad. Mm -hmm. because and even if the reasons you give like they just have to sound plausible in the moment you just have to be able to make that kind of meme of a of a case and it has to be strong and if you make a less strong statement like i could imagine actually the, the joe rogan thing with uh stefan guillene mm -hmm. and gary tobbs they had a debate and like guillene is so much better than tobbs um mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, I mean, Tobbs is old at this point and like has problems with his hearing. So it's not super fair. Yeah. It was, uh, it was a bit sad at times. Yeah. It's like, a, it's a real, like, uh, not a good situation, but even back when he, before that he, his, um, method of debating was kind of just being a jerk. Mm -hmm. Like he would just say, well, like he was, uh, he actually referred to himself as pugilistic, like a, a fighting style in debates. And he understood perhaps consciously or unconsciously that it's actually better for your brand to not even care about getting like super detailed information and like, Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna learn everything there is to know, but to just make a case that sounds good and that you can like beat your opponents over the head with yeah, yeah. and just present that strong horse. Yeah, man. Well, no, nobody wants to, nobody wants to follow like I'm following the guy that says, eat pretty natural foods and eat some right. of this and some of that and you'll be just fine. You know, like nobody yeah. wants to follow that guy. Everybody wants to follow the guy that's like white 
is bad. You know, like, you know, <laughs> Balchek has a thing like that too, where, you know, it's like the four white devils, right? It's like dairy, flour, sugar, salt. Don't fucking touch them. You'll die. You know, they're addictive. <laughs> You'll be a cocaine addict and blah, 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 blah. Yeah, nobody wants to, f- it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, man. To me, it seems like I said, it really, it, a lot of times it's like, yeah, people are using, <laughs> it's probably, fair to say that the people that are the best marketers in whatever field are probably the, the, the least uh, knowledgeable about whatever topic that is. You know what I'm saying? Like if you go to Instagram and find like a, like a self-defense, uh, like a, like a, um, uh, you know, <laughs> like, like a self-defense yeah. fucking blog or what, what do you call it? A f- handle, you know, probably fair to say they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. And then they've been in a fight, you know, whereas you find the guy that's just like, Again, growing up in you know Chechnya every day, just fighting every fucking day and banging guys' heads against the wall. Like he probably knows a <laughs> lot more, but he doesn't know how right. to market himself. You know that's that's where we're at. I don't know, man. It's interesting. <laughs> yeah, I w- like it's almost like knowledge. See, because the thing is, deep knowledge. You know the um, oh, what was the name? The Dunning Kruger curve. Mm-hmm the Dunning-Kruger effect, mm-hmm. like when you get past that initial, so the initial knowledge that gives you that confidence that you know a lot, and then you get past that and you start to lose confidence. Um, so on a level of marketing, like for your own confidence, it's actually sort of toxic to know a certain amount of stuff because you know, you start to become so aware of what you don't know that you, you qualify your statements and you, like, like when I say something, I'll say like, Oh, I read a study where, or I think this and somebody else who didn't read that stuff will just say this, this is what happens. This mm-hmm. is how this works. Mm-hmm. And they don't know that they don't actually know that that's <laughs> They're just saying mm-hmm. it. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but it sounds better. It does. It does. And <laughs> you know, obsolete sta- statements like that, like you said, there's just like, you know, fuck off <laughs> that's why sugar that. that's why or whatever or the opposite right. it's the best heated all the fucking time um i don't know man it it's tough to but you do have to take a stance at some point though right i mean do you think right. you know to get into i don't know a little metaphysical and you know I, I don't do you think do you think maybe we're all sort of creating our own reality a little bit as we go day by day what do you think um, well, I, I mean, I'm like, I don't know how much Nietzsche you've read, but I'm sure I love Nietzsche. Yeah. Like partially Nietzschean in the sense that Ooh. on, on some level, like I think, uh, will like human will and human belief kind of craft a lot of things about the world. Uh, maybe not in like the new agey, like the secret yeah. Um, if you want that bike, just think about that bike. Right. <laughs> and if you didn't get the bike, you didn't think hard enough about it, and you and you let right. your mind wander. But yeah, but I see what you're saying. But I'm with you on the Nietzsche thing. I'm following. Yeah, like a transvaluation, and <clears throat> yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if a society like sort of ate a certain food or had a certain practice, and they believed it was healthy. And that that like sort of group belief, you know, made it have a different effect than uh, if you just like told somebody who didn't have any of those beliefs and didn't have that culture mm-hmm. to do the same thing, mm-hmm. uh, that that kind of a thing. So it's it's interesting. I love that stuff, um, but it's all it's almost like hard to believe that it's coming from 
like from you, <laughs> but I mean, in the sense of like, because you're, you know, you're a PhD, you're a scientist, because most people, I feel like when they get to that top level of, you know, schooling or, or being so deep into one subject, they kind of, they don't, they don't want to think that that other stuff could be real. And it's just like, and it becomes this thing of like, you know, well, that the point of science is to be objective, is to figure out the truth for all. And then you can't, you can't even have conversations like that with those people, like about that, hey, maybe you're like creating your own kind of world as you go, <laughs> because they just ultimately think you're a quack, right? The words or conspiracy theorists or whatever. Yeah, well, I mean, that this is this is quite the topic. I mean, well, <laughs> like before, before World War Two, the the hard sciences, men of science. Like if you you could just read old science, they had a different relationship with like the material and like immaterial realms. Yes. And then of course, like before the uh, the Enlightenment you know, basically everybody, everybody's mind existed in the enchanted realm, like all the time. So science was sort of in a corner of like, okay, we're going to apply some type of science to this one thing. And at this point, it's like, science is like the whole room for most people. Yeah. Um, huh. And the problem is, there's so few, like, if something you know, it's kind of like the phenomenon of uh, a medical doctor. And you always hear these stories where somebody will have a terminal disease or maybe some type of disability and they'll go to, oh, I went to so many doctors and they said, you can't be helped. You know, mm -hmm. whether you're going to die in a year, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing that can be done or you'll never walk again. You know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, and I, and then I, you know, insert like weird remedy guy. or yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then they, they get better. Uh, and the thing is if the medical doctor or the scientist or whomever was actually interested in the deep phenomenology of this thing, they'd be interested in why that happened. But what they tend to do is just ignore it. Like, yeah. cause they'll say, well, I said you couldn't get better and then you got better. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the most craziest things I think that's happening in today's society. Where, because also even if we okay, let's say let's say that story is bullshit. Let's say that lady lied. Okay, right. You know, you went you went to college. I went to college. How much schooling did you get on the placebo effect? I mean, how much how much did they talk about it? Because it is a real thing, right? Acknowledged by science, right? It's not like a it's not a made up thing, right? It's not crystalline right. shit. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's 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 included in studies. Like that's why they do. That's why they have to do but like do they, blind do they studies. Talk, yeah, but and you know, as you know, like every study, always there's always like one or two people that didn't that had the placebo effect, right? Am, am mm. I am I am I saying things right? That were, you know affected whatever the outcome, and because they got placeboed, whatever. Right. <laughs> but like to me, it's fucking crazy that nobody ever talks about that when like when they're you know reading a study, like there's you know. 30 people got better these people didn't these one two were placebo whatever don't like i just think it's fucking bananas that nobody even talks about it because it's a it's completely a real thing like i feel like why aren't we talking about it more <laughs> like what can i do to give myself a placebo where i can heal my thing <laughs> like i i really think it's crazy man well you need to have multiple personalities disorder <laughs> so that one of your personalities can give you a tr <laughs> you know can like 
not know that or you know whatever <laughs> <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> like that uh what's the guy what's the indian director guy come on signs and all that m night shyamalan ding dong whatever the fuck yeah. his last name is yeah. Ding dong. what's that movie with the, the 22 personalities or whatever oh uh yeah um it's the it was the sequel to it was the one that was part of that trilogy that just ended with um yeah i actually didn't see i didn't see that one it wasn't I, great I it wasn't great split 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 it's called split the um i do love the bruce willis one though the the original the og Shyamalan yeah i like that one too that's a great one yeah it's it's crazy man i i really do think that that why do, how, how much you know like mds when they're trained how how much do you think they they talk about those sort of effects like well hey a person can maybe you know fucking have the placebo effect can happen and you they might not need that drug anymore well they're aware of the placebo effect. um they're mostly aware of it in terms of studies and just how if a if a treatment group is aware that they're getting a treatment and there's not a control group that's not aware, then it's not considered as legitimate of the results. But, you know, it's not so much that doctors don't, aren't open to this stuff. The problem is, is when it starts to a challenge, like their authority in the room. So if a doctor says, this is your diagnosis and these are your treatment options, or you have no treatment options, and this is just a thing that cannot be treated, it's politically incorrect for you to get better. So like if you get <laughs> if you get better based on something contrary to what they said. Now, see, this is funny because doctors are it's supposed to be that their top priority is that you get better. So if a doctor <laughs> is incorrect or whatever, however you want to phrase that, where they said you cannot get better, or if you do X you will not get better. If you do Y, you may get better. Like I'm giving you this treatment option. You say, I don't want to do Y. I want to try X. And he's like, that's not real or whatever. Mm -hmm. And you do it and you get better. A, I, if I was that doctor, I'd be like, that's so great. That's amazing. I'm so, I'm so happy but for you. But you've never, I've never heard a doctor <laughs> say that. Yeah. And I don't think any, I, well, I don't know if you have, <laughs> let me know out there people, but yeah, you, you hear all, all the time, like, well, I was prescribed, um, uh, Lexapro super common, right? Like serotonin, uh, you know, mm -hmm. drug right now, right. For, for anxiety. And then I did this and that. And then I told my doctor that I feel tremendous and I feel a lot better. And he was like, okay. It was like, he was almost disappointed. <laughs> That he yes, didn't get yeah. to write you a prescription for this thing, and it's it's not even a con like a conspiracy, whatever of like like oh they just want to kill you, but it's like legitimately you never hear doctors being like oh it's tremendous my patient did this and that and I'll go in that's that's interesting what did you do let me make a note of that I'll I'll look into right, that right, later right. or like I'll share that with other patients like because they can't well again because they can't right because you have insurance companies and you have all this shit that they got to deal with it's a crazy fucking system we have set up man. Yeah, because their function is not like exoterically. It's stated that their function is to treat people, you know, to to make them better. And but esoterically, their function is they're kind of like a priestly keepers of the faith, and the faith <laughs> is like what the medical textbooks say. Yeah, is the diagnosis. So if something goes, it's basically like 
if you went to church and the priest said, like, this is what you should do. I mean, that's kind of tricky because most of what they have to tell you is for the afterlife. But let's say there was something a religion taught you for this life. Mm -hmm. And you went against their teachings and you had the desired effect that they said you could only get by following their teachings. Mm -hmm. They wouldn't be psyched about that because that challenges their the church of which they are a priest. Right, right. And that's the function that the doctor is in our current system is there's this like big, like money church and and like, you know, um, industrial church of like the biomedical system. And they are the, the interface with the public. So the priests are the interface between the church and the public, right? They're, and then the doctors are the interface between the biomedical establishment and the public. So they're, they have, they perform the same function. Yeah. It's like, and everybody, the craziest part is that everybody's aware of it. I think it, <laughs> right. you literally have to be retarded. Sorry, my, <laughs> p- pardon my French here. But you know what I'm saying? Not the, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Like not the Sean Penn retarded. You know what I mean? The, the, the Tropic Thunder retarded. Anyway, um, to not understand that. Because everybody knows. What does everybody say? Like, I went to my doctor and I tried to talk to him and he was like, okay, 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 okay. Boom. Written prescription. See you later. Like, they don't want to talk to you. They don't want to have – it's not a thing anymore of like, hey, let's have a 30-minute consultation. And by the way, the ones that do the newer, new age, like functional doctors or – what are the, all the names? Integrative doctors now, they have like these, you know, names that they're calling for these people that just basically MD that did the certification, which cost them thousands of dollars to do. Anyway, where their big, big selling point is like, we have a conversation for an hour, like about how you're feeling. Like, I feel like it shouldn't that be like with everybody who's sick? Like, isn't, shouldn't that be like a normal thing? Like, hey, I don't feel well. Okay, well, let's just have a chat. It doesn't have to be like, let's talk about, you know, everything, but just like, because I don't, nobody gets asked anything else. They're just like, okay, this and that, boom, prescription, let's go, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Like, even for myself, I'll go to a doctor and have like two or three things that I want to ask them about and, you know, whatever. And they will like get me out of there before I even say my things somehow. They're just like, uh-huh. and <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> like a, about. a total <laughs> lack of respect. And it's crazy because like, well, shouldn't you at least listen to me? Like I, no, it's crazy. Yeah, that's exactly I went to it. School. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's exactly it. Because, like you said, it's, it's that authority thing where they're wearing the stethoscope, right? And they got the, the, the big white coat on, and it's like, <laughs> Kyle, what is your degree in? Oh, nutrition. Oh, <laughs> nutritional sciences. Go fuck yourself, sir. Let me tell you what I think. It's it's crazy, man. You know, and I was um I was talking about this to a client with of mine. Do you, do you know how um. The first president, George Washington, do you know how he died? Uh, no, I forget. He died because they fucking blood, they bleeded him out. They they had him bleed out. They cut him because he had some right. sort of infection. And they, I don't remember how many ounces, but it was somewhere like 60 ounces of blood. It was just a giant amount of blood. And that's how he died. He didn't die because, you know, a doctor gave him, a, a, I mean, Versus the, the opposite, I'm trying to say. He died because a doctor was trying to get him to help, get him treatment. That now, nobody would, if you tell a doctor now, like, hey, let's cut you and let's have you bleed out. That'll help. Right. A doctor would be like, what the fuck, right? And we think you're crazy. But back then, <laughs> that was like the standard of care, right? Because they have that word now. It's like standard of care. It's like, 
that's what the best doctors know and that's what they do. That's how you generally go about it. And back then, that was the standard of care. And But now, it's something that would never be done. It would just be craziness. So, mm -hmm. but if you talk to the average person now, it's like, well, a doctor told me that. What the fuck you know? What, what kind of degree you have? Oh, you're not a doctor? Go fuck yourself. You know, it's just like right. you're automatically <laughs> blown off because you don't know anything. But it's like, well, hey, well, what if what if in 100 years they figure out that, hey, maybe we shouldn't be prescribing drug X or drug Y because this does this and that and it's terrible for you. Where I think people are slowly actually buying into that fucking mentality instead of kind of jumping out of that matrix, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the public, like, I, I, I would like to see, it would be interesting to see survey data of like what the public thinks of doctors because it's probably not too good. Hmm. Um, you know, cause like, yeah, most people, I guess older people that susceptible, you think? well, they've had a doctor for a long time and they might have an older doctor and they have a preexisting relationship. Mm -hmm. But I think like when the boomer generation is gone, uh, it'll be people who have less um, persistent relationships with doctors, people that have moved more for work, you know, people that haven't stayed in the same community. Like there'll be less of that kind of community doctor thing where somebody's sort of um, beholden to their reputation in a community that they like live in. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, like, because mm -hmm. a lot of doctors now are in these big hospital complexes, whereas it used to be you know, small practices Private. within sort of a community. And yeah, there's like multiple levels on which, um, the whole thing is just turning into like this, this big, crazy, uh, like I don't even go to the, like, it's, it's like not worth it for me to go to the doctor. Um, it's not. It's, it, and they test the most redundant, stupid shit that you don't even right. like you like, okay, let's check your cholesterol. Oh God. All right, here we go. <laughs> right. It's like, Oh Jesus, here we go. Your LDL and your HDL. Here's how you remember it. It has the H. So it's healthy. Okay. Now you learned something today. And it's just like, it's the dumbest shit, right? It's like, yeah. Um, but so you, but you're saying that you think a lot of people are catching on to that because I don't know, maybe it's where I live. Maybe it's people I talk to. I don't know if I, Again, at least in a lot of, you know, like predominantly like suburban areas, I think if you tell people some ideas, things that we're talking about right now, they'll just blow you off. They're like, <laughs> you're not a doctor. Go fuck yourself. You know, it's, it's going it, to they don't want to even hear another opinion of anything. Uh, yeah, well, there's so many people in the medical like everybody knows a doctor or a nurse in their family or something. So it's kind of hard for a lot of people to feel as alienated to express that they feel as alienated as they probably feel, uh, when they go to the doctor. And also a lot of people, I mean, you know, if you're relatively lucky and you don't have to have that many interactions with the doctor, like things are probably okay. Like if you just break a bone, mm -hmm. like that, the standard of care to set a bone is pretty good. Um, if you just have an infection, you know, and you get like a standard antibiotic, like that, that, that standard of care is pretty good. It's really people that, um, have chronic illnesses and they just get in this like loop of getting fucked. Cycle, <laughs> cycle, cycle. Yeah. And then as soon as they try to jump out of that loop, they're at least again, with my, my experience with other people and friends this is like, they're totally f like looked down upon, like, like, <laughs> Oh, you're going to Brian, that crystal healer guy. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> like, what does he know? 
oh oh he's a he's a chiropractor what the fuck does that guy know like that's those <laughs> those are another where, where it's like and if you look at the history of a lot of like chiropractic and all this stuff where they used to be actually a lot more standardized right and had a lot more you know they had a lot more um responsibility things that they could do with with a patient whereas over time because the m the, you know the md the traditional doctor the kind of that should be the main part they sort of um, like chopped it down and made it to mm. this thing, right? Where it's like, oh, chiropractic. It's like, okay, it's not a real doctor. Or like, um, you know, acupuncture. Oh, it's not a real doctor. You know, it's like, it's these little things where if a hundred years ago, they they were like super, you know, super serious and super um, integrative and they have a, and they, they could do a lot of things with the patients. Now they're just, you know, because of insurance, they can't prescribe anything. They can't do this. Right. Or they can only do this one thing, pop the bone and move on. And it's not their fault. It's just that, <laughs> yeah, it's just that the way that they, they, they've changed the profession over time because the big medical industry wants to take over. Right, right, right. It's interesting, man. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's like the main topic of uh, of the book that I'll someday finish. Which one? Yeah, the medical the medical industry. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm saying that's the topic. You want to write a book? Well, you're saying? Yeah. Oh no, I I have been. Oh, you never um, told us this. Kyle. Oh, I never told. Uh, you I never tell, tell us that. about this book, man. I thought I told most people. Well, the thing no. is, it's like the slowest project ever. Mm -hmm. Um. But yeah, it's about the philosophy of science, but it's from the perspective of analyzing the biomedical industry. And it's actually changed because I started cobbling together just little anecdotes and like the framework of chapters like five years ago. Mm -hmm. And back then I had sort of, you know, different, different belief set than I have now. So it's sort of evolved and stuff, but, uh, it's, it's like an attempt to get to uh like what i was saying about the reason why there's a dichotomy in nutritional beliefs usually where mm -hmm. two camps will set up that are sort of opposed to each other and most people will go with one or the other and like cheerlead for their side mm -hmm. um and there's like because of some type of social human dynamic that's just natural you know and that's what causes that uh, doing that analysis about the research and also mostly the research side, cause that's the side that I've been in. And then also the medical, the medicine side, but like the biomedical world in general, why, why is it structured the way it's structured? Uh, what causes the dynamics where like, for example, um, you, you could have a situation where a bunch of people know that, uh, just being prescribed this drug, like so many people are skeptical of it, right? Like say the serotonin drugs, the SSRIs mm -hmm. and everybody kind of knows that a lot of people have done crazy <laughs> homicidal, <laughs> suicidal things on those drugs. <laughs> like everybody knows there's all these issues yet. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the medical textbooks, it's just like, well, this is what happens. And, uh, it, it makes the happy drug persist longer in the synaptic cleft. And or, yeah, or at least most people know it doesn't fucking help. Like how many people you know? I've met lots of people that are in Lexapro or whatever, and they just feel the same. Well, yeah, usually it makes them feel better for a little while, and then they, they ratchet back down to how they felt before. Mm -hmm. And then if they go off of it, they feel worse. Terrible. Than when they started. Awful, awful, <laughs> awful, awful, awful. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Oh, 
Well. It does work for some people. I mean, there are some people mm-hmm. that are on it long term mm-hmm. that say it helps them. Yeah. But the thing is, the official narrative or whatever can't. It doesn't. It doesn't like. It doesn't have room for that. So it just says this is the standard for care. And again, if it doesn't work, it kind of just gets. Um, they show, oh well, it didn't work. Whatever. But that that it not working for thousands and thousands of patients mm-hmm. isn't a reason to reevaluate the science that says it works, which is fucking crazy. It's right. <laughs> which is like an anti-scientific stance. Basically. It's like, a, okay, this is our, again, sort of like, um, sacred tome yeah. says that this is the thing that, that will improve your symptoms. And if it doesn't, that does not question the sacred tome. It's just, Oh, this is just some weird, like, and, one off yeah and but so and then to to me the people that it works for it does get into that like i think about that placebo thing that hey because you know a lot of people go on those drugs but then they also do a thousand other things that improve their life right because usually that's true usually when people get to that point when they're when they're literally going to a doctor and saying like hey man i need some something to help i don't feel like it happens overnight with everybody you know what i'm saying i feel like they've been trying this and be trying that and they maybe did did that and this and they've been suffering for a long time and then they finally go and then they just they don't know what else to do i feel like that happens for a lot of people not all of course but i do feel like that happens for a lot of people you know and then they get a serotonin drug and then maybe they're like well okay i'm gonna fucking you know get my shit together because a lot of those people that do those sort of things they get into whatever help books and you know they, they they meet with groups of people and so i feel like it's a lot of factors and maybe they just really really believe that it's gonna help them and works and you know but i don't know hey i'm a fucking conspiracy theorist i don't know what the fuck i'm talking about so <laughs> <laughs> yeah man um well, that'd be that'd be an interesting thing. I wanna, I wanna. How you're not projecting to finish anytime soon? I'm getting from from the way you're talking about your book, huh? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's one of those things. Like, I should really um, should probably take a little bit more seriously. But uh, we need it, Kyle. It's, it'll be a good book, man. It'll be a good book. To, to, you got to do it. Yeah, well, the tentative title is uh, "Throne, Throne, and Beaker." And then under, so that's like the big words. And then under it, uh, a case for the separation of science and state. Dude, that's heavy. That's heavy. I don't <laughs> That's heavy. That's, I like the do, time. Do, do you know the phrase throne and altar? No. Like that was the, that was the phrase that denoted like the church state complex in Europe, like mostly medieval Catholic church. Mm. So the, the ruling order was throne. So the king or I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Throne. So King and altar. Mm-hmm. So the, the church, you know, like the Pope in Rome. <sighs> but again, I, mean, I love it. People, I just don't know if people see the medical world and even just the scientific world that way. To me, I'm getting to a point where I'm more and more realizing that it's a culture in its own too you know what i mean i think i think everything is a little bit of a culture you know you have the science guys you have these guys you have the other guys that and that all these cultures could have you know different opinions and that's okay too and um where i think most people view especially medicine and stuff of this like like you said this fucking written down bible official thing of like (laughs) of course they did they did the double blind placebo studies it's like there's no way there's no way those guys started with a biased kind of idea 
and maybe developed mm-hmm. from there. I, don't, I, I think it's there's there needs to be something to like get people to to see that because it takes time to get to that point. Yeah, well, there is that like Reddit culture of like uh, the <laughs> kind of soy boy like I fucking love science. Like, <laughs> um, where yeah, they're like fanatical like an Elon Musk launch or like a Bill Nye show is like, um, a religious observance for them <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff. So there's those people, but even that, I mean, and it's gotten to the point where they're getting, they were, they've become a joke on the internet. Like, uh, the, the I fucking love science thing. Like it's, it's become a joke. Like after the, uh, the Bill Nye, remember like two or three years ago, he had that thing on Netflix Oh fuck yeah! The most anti-scientific, quote unquote, yeah. scientific thing ever, right? Of this like gender fluid thing, where the hard science, the real science, <laughs> says that there are two fucking genders, right? I mean, right. Make up your own mind. I- I'm not telling you what to think. <laughs> I'm just telling you what real science. If you go to school and you take biology, right? Am, am, I-, am I right? There's two genders here, you know. But well, even the word gender is kind of a. Ama- I mean, there's two sexes. It became and a then- thing. Well, but it, yeah, yeah it became a thing. Gender is kind of this, yeah. It's, but it used it's to be interchangeable, other... wasn't it? Right, right, right. right. Yeah, so it used yeah. to be sex. Okay, there's two sexes. But no, yeah. Kyle, you can be whatever the fuck <laughs> you want to be, man. You can be anything. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'll stay what I'm at. <laughs> you know, I've thought about it for a long time. I've thought about all the possibilities. Uh, unicorn was a strong <laughs> for a second, but I think I'll just stay straight male for now (laughs) but it's interesting you say that there's it became a joke because i don't know maybe i've just been living in california for too long man because i'm telling there's a lot of people where you'll talk to them about something about science and you're like and i would say i don't really believe that and they'll say sir it's science you don't use the word believe it's science like literally i've met people like that i've talked to people like that where they they say i don't believe in science science is not a thing that you believe in science is what it is Mm. you know and i I don't know maybe i've been in california too long maybe i need to move down to florida but i I don't know about those bugs man yeah well i guess that's what i'm trying to that's what i would try to address uh in in a in book form would be bringing the philosophy of science back to science where like the fundamental assumption that we live in a phenomenological world of repeated events, phenomena, you know, that, that could be replicated mm-hmm. is an untestable statement because to test it, you have to assume that it's testable. You know what I mean? Yeah. It gets into like, that, like say, uh, sorry, go ahead. Like if you mix two things together and they have a, whatever the reaction is. And then you mix those two same things together. You have to assume that every time you do it, it's going to have the same effect. Like you can't test that the same things have the same effect every time by mixing the same things together, because how you're evaluating it is the conclusion already. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like, you know, we just assume like, Oh, well, if you do this experiment on a Tuesday, it's the same thing as on a Thursday, (laughs) Uh, but you can't actually test that because okay, well, we did it on Tuesday and Thursday, but like, where was the moon? Like, there's like all of these infinite things that people don't consider and probably for good reason. Like, it probably doesn't matter if it's Mm -hmm. on a Tuesday or Thursday. But the point is the fundamental assumption of hard science is that things can be falsified. 
through a lack of replicability, mm-hmm. uh, and that this the same phenomenon can be observed over and over, you know, and that that you can control the conditions and reproduce something, mm-hmm. and that's how you would like discover truth about it is by altering the conditions and then seeing how it changes. But if things changed, even if the conditions were the same, then you couldn't do that because nothing could be held steady. The idea that things can be held steady is a, a pre-scientific belief on which science rests. Mm-hmm. And that's in the realm of philosophy. Yeah. And, and according modern to modern science, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. modern science lovers don't no acknowledge that they just they think that science it's like a a given truth like a revealed truth like a scripture right uh when it really it's like um it's a presupposition it's like a paradigm of thinking about the world it it is a philosophy right yeah yeah right yeah we're people yeah a like branch of philosophy yeah a branch of philosophy okay but you know whatever you want philosophy <laughs> is in there and people people don't want to acknowledge that that that's the thing and uh, you've heard of uh, rupert sheldrake yeah yeah so it gets into that stuff right where rupert has done those studies like you said where uh, it wasn't quite like that but they've done i remember one study was like they'd have uh, uh i don't remember if it was chickens or rats do a certain thing in london and then they would have them They'd have another group do that somewhere nearby, and then another group group of the same rats or chickens, whatever, do that some other place. The point being, over time, those animals got better and better at doing that experiment thing all over the world, right? Where it's this like thing that's spreading, and um, you know, it's just crazy stuff, <laughs> crazy stuff. Right. But but they don't want to, you know, people don't want to talk about people like Rupert Sheldrake because again, he's like a crazy guy. And, you know, they just kind of, they get um, kicked out of the uh, thing. My brain is going to, uh, turning into a pumpkin here soon. <laughs> we did another <laughs> marathon with you. I love it, man. <laughs> yeah, but it'll be a good, we got to get that book done. And we got to talk about this um, this topic. We got to do a whole other podcast about this. What are you laughing at? <laughs> got to get that book done. Got to get that book done. I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> yeah, I'm turning into a pumpkin slowly. All right, brother. Um, well, thanks for the talk, man. So you got that new video out. You got anything else coming out besides your book that you're getting done soon? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well, like I said, I'm going to make, uh, my next video, I'm going to make a video fair, probably try to make it in the next month. And it's going to be, let's see, I have the title here. Uh, Kyle's law. So I'm, I'm making laws now of like science and stuff. So it's Kyle's law and the religiosity of diet and health practices. So that's kind of what I was saying. Um, so I want to go through uh, why, why, why it is that this happens and just some of the issues, some of the issues of both biology or physiology and how it works and how that interfaces with human psychology and sociology to create paradigms of thought about things like nutrition and lifestyle and diet and all that and gurus Mm -hmm. and schools of thought that are rigid and develop fads and go out of style and come in of style and all that love it so that's the next video and your um, youtube channel is nutricarnology yes sir yes sir you got anything else out there no website right now it's coming when the book's coming it's coming soon <laughs> <laughs> all right that's the last time i'll fuck with you 
<laughs> yeah. All right, brother. Thanks for doing this again, man. It's a blast. We should do it. Uh, we'll do it again. I'll just force yeah, you yeah, to, yeah. to get on it. <laughs> okay. All right, my man. Talk to you later. Take care, bro. Das Vidanya. Das Vidanya. Very good. Maladiac. Das Vidanya.